Okay, so once again, welcome to the Coffee and Heroes podcast, the game with your host, Alan. Uh, hopefully this time you'll notice the uh, audio recording is a little bit cleaner. Uh, we finally found a use for Kieran on the podcast. He has provided the uh, microphone. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'm going to leave now. Uh, you, you can leave. You're introducing the first time. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, back here as ever, you know, just with our monthly going through of the previews catalogue. Uh, so this is the catalogue just arrived this week, and these will be for releases in January. Uh, I am joined, as I say, by Kieran. Kieran here, very excited. He's much more involved this time. So, uh, beside Kieran, we have Keith. Nice to hear you again, as always. And then we're finishing off with Stephen, as per usual. As per usual, indeed. There's probably one day we're going to sub him out for Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> You're so mean, like at the start of the podcast and everything. You had to oh, set the tones. It's because I was giving him abuse. He had to start, you see. Um, but yeah, we're going to mix it up a little bit here as well. We we. We, we do put a lot of thought into these podcasts and how we think the listening experience will be best, how it will flow the best. You know, we've tried separating everything into categories. We've tried one person leading the way with each category. You, you tend to hear the same voice over and over. So we thought we'd mix it up a little bit this time. As always, we'll welcome any feedback on it. But what we're going to do here is we'll have a different person introducing each title. We're going to mix it up, a bit of Marvel here, a bit of DC there, indie there. We will still keep it at 15 picks in total. There may be a few honourable mentions. Uh, there will be five DC, five Marvel and five indie comics uh, that we recommend above all others. Uh, again, lots of great starting points. You'll probably notice with this podcast especially, there's loads of number ones. Obviously, a new start to the year, January. A lot of the comic creators sort of try and entice new readers in in, in January onwards. So uh, loads of number ones. And what's 2019? What is 2019? 2019 celebrates Marvel's 80th year in existence. Oh, it's Marvel's Marvel. 80th birthday. It's also IDW's 20th birthday. Well, uh, as well, they're doing a little series called 2020, where they're imagining some of their characters where they were 20 years ago and where they'll be 20 years in the future. Mm-hmm. So there's that as well. Uh, and most importantly, most importantly, 2019, we'll see Detective Comics 1000. Yep. <laughs> uh, I might pick it up again for that. Uh, How many well. covers are you going to get this? Uh, well, I'm still working on my Batman 50 covers, so I've got a, I've another one on the way, actually, uh, as well. I do have a problem. There will be an intervention for this soon, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we're going to move away from my Batman 50 obsession, and uh, we'll start off with the previews. As I say, we'll uh, go from uh, publisher to publisher. We're starting off uh, in the world of DC, and it's actually going to be Kieran spearheading the conversation on this one. Yep, so the first one is going to be Young Justice number one. Um, it's written by Brian Michael Bendis. Ah, Bendis. One of DC's <laughs> best writers at the minute, Stephen. It, it, it even says in the previous book, Superman has never been written better than by Bendis. It's yeah, uh, uh, debatably, <coughs> you know, one of DC's best writers. Well, he's also one of Marvel's best writers, but he's uh, gone there. I'd put him fourth in DC's writing staff. Yeah. Who would King be at the top? Keane actually is at the top now. Snyder. Joint second. Who's third? Because Tynan will be third for me. Nah, Grant Morrison. Yeah. Uh, okay. All I, Batman writers. I would consider Grant Morrison pretty good. <coughs> he's not he's not Marvel or DC's. Grant he's, Morrison's the one that done the My Comico Romance. <laughs> uh, Starting off early. Ah, there we go. Okay, so Young Justice. <laughs> Back to Brian Michael Bendis. Writ- written by Bendis. Um, art for the cover and within the book is Patrick Gleason. Um, he's doing Superman action comics at the minute. Yeah. He, is, he did yeah. a great run on Batman and Robin. Uh, 
primarily worked with Peter J. Tomasi for a while. Uh, he did Super Sons, if I believe, as well. He's very much attached to Jonathan Kent, isn't he? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's more, I think it's George Jimenez on Adventures of Super Sons now, but Super Sons originally had Patrick Gleason on there. Um, I mean, what we should say with this Young Justice one is actually launching a brand new line for DC Comics, uh, Wonder Comics. Mm. Uh, this seems to be an imprint. The, the early chatter for it suggests something similar to the Ultima Comics line at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Ben has had a lot of experience with that uh, as the, that sign you heard with Stephen again <laughs> he's just never forgiven it for Civil War 2 you know everyone can have a bad day you know that was a bad year well terrible year Ben this was Secret Invasion though wasn't he yeah yes, yes, yes he, he was with Secret Invasion yeah one of the best Marvel absolutely stories. I mean and that was the, the thing about Secret Invasion is uh it was it was a long time building. Secret Invasion was building from. Sorry, you're talking about DC book, but you're talking about Bendis. Yeah, <laughs> you have to. Uh, We're just explaining uh, Bendis, why Bendis is good. Bendis came off uh, Avengers Disassembled, where he blew the Avengers apart, mm-hmm. uh, and then he reassembled the Avengers in the New Avengers, okay. uh, which was the the first six issues of that is just classic uh, breakout, which was a breakout from the raft mm-hmm. uh, superhero. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Superhero prison in, in, in New York and Marvel. Um, and he brought together a team, an Avengers team that conv- consisted of, uh, if I recall, Captain America, Iron Man, um, Luke Cage was in there, Dare- Daredevil was in there, Spider Man and Wolverine were in there. Yeah. Uh, and those first six issues were just were fantastic. Um, it's a very manly lineup. Well, there was, I, I mean, it, I, I can't, it was a long time ago. Going back <laughs> but, like uh, over 10 years but, ago. So. But I guess the point of what I'm saying is, from that new Avengers start, from those first six issues, right through that series, he built uh, towards Secret Invasion, just mm-hmm. dropping wee clues here and there. Long and form yeah. storytelling, absolutely, yeah. it was. And uh, and Secret Invasion was just fantastic. It was yeah, it was one of the, yeah, good one. Anyway, I mean so, that, yeah. that that brings it back to DC because I think where we're talking about good DC writers, and to- that's what I think Tom King's great at at the moment with Batman, which of course it only took us five minutes to mention <laughs> that. Um, but anyway, let's. Uh, Jump yeah, back on. So, Young Justice releases on uh, the 9th of January. So, near enough. It's a good day, 9th of January, day. folks. That's a certain person who's sitting here's birthday. You know. Oh, happy birthday, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> I can't afford to get all year older. <laughs> Go on, the 60s were tough as it was. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Jared. Cheers, Jared, for that one. I will find you. I will kill you. <laughs> um, no, I will be uh, the young age of 36 on that day. Hey, so. Young. Yeah. <laughs> so Young Justice, um, it picks up as the standard Young Justice teams, sort of look, Superboy, Wonder Girl, Robin, Impulse, Amethyst. But there's two new ones getting introduced. One of them I'm very interested in, mm-hmm. and you should be able to guess this right away. Something it's, related no, or Hellblazer Jenny related? Hex. Jenny Hex. Oh, it's, yeah, Jonah uh, Hex Jonah is a great granddaughter. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and then there's Teen Lantern as well in there. <clears throat> Uh, so there are two brand new heroes introduced what with great this name. Book. Teen Lantern. Teen Lantern. Teen Lantern. Oh, Teen Lantern. Oh, right. <laughs> That's okay. Damn for a, a Well, what I think's good about this one, uh, it looks like it's going to be a great all ages title as well. Uh, it's launching with uh, an exercised issue, so plenty of bang for your buck there. Is that is that Superboy? Is that Jonathan Kent? No, it's Connor Kent. Oh, okay. So what's the story there? <laughs> who's, who's Connor Kent? Connor Kent's Superboy Prime. I think you're going back to like the reign of the Superman and stuff yeah. like that, aren't you? For uh, Connor Kent's one that's been out of the comics for a long time, and he's one that 
people, I, I don't have an awful lot of knowledge on this, but I've been reading interviews with Bendis on Young Justice, and he said, like, the one character people keep saying, please bring back to the DC universe, it's is Connor. Connor Kent. So is Connor Kent, like, the original... He's the one that punched reality, isn't he? I think um, so. And Crisis, one of the Infinite, Infinite Crisis. Infinite Crisis, or, Crisis yeah. yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, so what, what happens then? We've got two Superboys now, because, I mean... I have been reading action comics since Star Rebirth and mm-hmm. so forth and so on, and and Superman, and I I love what they've done with Superman. I love the fact that they've integrated like a pre-Rebirth Superman, the Superman that I know and love, who is the yeah, Superman pre-New Fifty Two, yeah, who is the Superman from the death of Superman, yeah, and uh, you know the return of the, the reign of the Superman, um, and that Lois, and then their son John and. And they've, they've, uh, there was a great story um, last year mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that melded those realities together um, and made Jonathan very much canon. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I love Jonathan Kendall Superboy. I think he's classic. It's interesting, I suppose, with action comics and Superman at the moment, they've sent Jonathan and Lois away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, whether maybe while he's away, this is a new Superboy that comes in, then maybe that leads to a conflict Ooh. later on. Yeah, I mean, because I guess. I guess at the minute Superboy sort of just exists in class, uh, uh, in the story. And, yeah. Well, he's in Clark's memory. Yeah. You know, and uh, I can't remember which book it was last. Was it Action or Superman? I can't remember. Um, but it was a great, oh, it must have been Action. Bendis is writing Action. He's writing both. He's writing both. both. Okay. Um, he's multi talented. And there was, a great, uh, there was a great flashback. There was a great flashback with, uh, with Superman and. And Jonathan mm-hmm. and uh, Jonathan was really raging. He was—I can't remember what it was. He was annoyed about a kid in school, mm-hmm. and he was going, "But Dad, we've got all this power. Like, why? What, I mean, why can I not just like yeah. end this kid? Like, you know, I wouldn't have Superman. By the way, was it? I haven't read that. So it would have been Superman. It would have been okay. And uh, and uh, Superman, you know, was going, but you know, Jonathan, do you not think that, like, you know? I mean, I, Batman's my best friend. Mm-hmm. Do you not think I want to pop his head off his body sometimes? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, a, it's a really great conversation about why you, you yeah. know, when you have this power, you know, so I, I just think, I'm just, I'm just interested and I hope that this, this Superboy who may isn't going to displace John again. Well, just following with Young Justice 1, that's that's going to be, it looks like it's going to be the introduce, introduction of Connor Kent into this current, Timeline. Okay, cool. So it looks like that's how it's going to be picking up, um, as well as an invasion of Gem World. Mm-hmm. Is that a already existing thing, or mm-hmm. <laughs> no soon, one knows? We'll, we'll find soon find out, out in January. <laughs> we'll soon find out. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, as I say what what I was saying before. You know, Young Justice. I think that's going to be a great all ages title. I think sometimes the best writing is one that can actually appeal to all ages. And uh, yeah, looking forward to that. And yeah, going back, it's a new line that Bendis is launching called Wonder Comics. There's going to be a few other um, titles on there. I believe one's called Naomi, uh, which again is going to be Bendis. Uh, I believe there's going to be four in total. Is Bendis um, writing the full Wonder Comics run? Or? Well, he's writing Young Justice and he's writing Naomi. Then you've got two other ones, which is Wonder Twins, which is going to be written by Mark Russell with art by Stephen Byrne. I really like Stephen Burns' artwork, actually. I can get on board with that. Uh, which is alien twin teenagers living on Earth with a crazy scientist, a pet space monkey, and painfully embarrassing psychic connections to so each this, other. This sort of thing, so great. we've got the, the black label imprint with DC. Mm-hmm. This nearly seems yeah. like the, the, opposite the opposite side of it. This yeah. is the, like the four-color comic book. Yeah. You know? I think that's the idea for it. You know, it's, it says it's... 
the sort of blurb for him when Ben this is talking about, he says, Wonder Comics is a pop-up imprint that will be a boutique collection of exceptionally well-crafted comics that reflect our deep love and affection for these characters and this amazing mm. medium. So again, I think that is going back to the sort of respect for four-color, fun, easy reading, yeah. appeals to all yeah. ages. I mean, if you ask me, it sounds like he's just ripped off the blurb for DC Young Animals. That's, that's exactly what this sounds like. For those who don't know, Young Animal, it was a thing, believe it or not. It's no longer a thing. Still is, uh, because, still uh, is. Oh, sorry, there's one issue doing patrols still to come out. <laughs> <laughs> what are you more sad to read the last issue? Well, you even, This is the thing, Stephen defends the Young Animal imprint. He has read next to none of it. He's collected it all, but he's read next to none of it. I don't think that was a defense of the Young Animal. I think that was another Nick Bendis. <laughs> or was that a dig at me? Uh, I think it was a bit of both. Bit of both. Um, and then the last one that's going to be part of Wonder Comics is Dal H for Hero, which is going to be by Sam Humphreys and Joe Quinones. He's more of a Marvel artist, isn't he? Joe Quinones. Yeah, yeah, I recognize the name. I think I he's the done the likes of Daredevil and so forth. Um, <clears throat> I mean, this one, Dal H for Hero, no pressure on it at all. He says one of the great DC ideas of all time. Uh, no pressure there yet. Uh, but yeah, he, fi- he finishes off his sort of intro with it with saying, Wonder Comics is all set to give you gorgeous, honest, innovative, and yes, wonderful comic book experiences. These are comics for readers of all sorts who want to come together and share the wonder of the universe. Thank you for joining us on this brand new mission. So yeah, all being spearheaded by spearheaded by Young Justice out January 9th, mm-hmm. 2019. With eight variant covers. With uh, wow. Amethyst variant cover by TBD. Impulse variant cover by TBD. Uh, Robin variant cover by... You guessed it, TBD. Point taken. Superboy variant cover. I think we get it. And there's also a blank variant cover, just to really. Oh, we don't need a blank cover. Uh, the blank is by TBD. It's uh, TBD. By, uh, <laughs> by you. I mean, so, I yeah. No. So, yeah, that's our first pick, Young Justice number one. Uh, we're going to move away from DC then and over to Marvel. Uh, we're moving on actually to a title that rather excited one of the gentlemen at this table. That's um, me. That would be Keith. Um, the. Title in question is uh, Age of X-Men, Age of X-Man Alpha, uh, which is a one-shot. The title, I think, is a play on Age of X, which Mm -hmm. was uh, an event that occurred, I don't know. Age of in general is a moral thing. Yeah, there's Age of, you know. Um, But the reason it excited me is this mentions one of my, I think as I mentioned in the last episode of the podcast. Yeah, for Uncanny X-Men? Yeah, Age of X-Man. Uh, X-Man being the Edge of Apocalypse version of Cable, uh, created by that universe's version of Mr. Sinister in a lab. Um, he was the, the genetic stock of, uh, of that universe's Cyclops and that universe's Jean Grey. And uh, he was never, like, unlike Cable, he was never infected with the techno-organic virus. Mm-hmm. Um, so he became the, the, the best that a version of Cable could be. Yeah. These fantastic telekinetic and telepathic powers. Um, with with the end of Edge of Apocalypse, after four months, he crashed into our universe um, in an issue that was titled The Man Who Fell to Earth. Really mm-hmm. great uh, boy reference, actually. Oh, yeah, it's it's a great boy. David Boy earlier on. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Nicholas Rogue movie. Um, and he then had a, had a, had a run of, uh, and it's not something you see very much anymore as a, a 75 issue run, mm-hmm. um, made a 75 issue run, uh, over quite a number of years and eventually ended up as this, uh, mutant shaman, uh, you know, was, was, uh, taking the mutants as a, as a tribe and him being the medicine man and the guide. Um, I think there's not a lot of information on this. It's written by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler, 
these guys are constant collaborators from what mm-hmm. I can see. Uh, Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler are writing the backstory in the current X-Men Black mm-hmm. series, which is about, about the villains, but there's a, an Edge of Apocalypse or an Apocalypse backstory. Yeah. Um, they wrote uh, some of the Edge of Spider-Verse stuff uh, and involved Cable. Uh, I'm not that familiar with them myself, and the writer is a Spanish writer named uh, Ramon Rosanos, uh, who's known for Astonishing Ant-Man, uh, Marvel 1602 Spider-Man, which spun out of uh, Mark Miller's Marvel 1602. I don't know if you guys ever read that. I was associated 1602 with Neil Gaiman. Mm, it's not Gaiman that did it. It was no, it Gaiman, but Gaiman. Mark Miller took, took, picked some stuff up afterwards. Oh, sorry, okay. so this is Gaiman was, one. I'm yeah, playing. exactly. So 1602 was Gaiman, but Spider Man. Oh, okay. There was a couple of oh, okay, spider okay. There was a 16. Um, and uh, some Captain Marvel stuff. Um, there's not a lot of information on this at all. Uh, it seems to be a one shot spinning out of the weekly Uncanny X Men series. Yeah. Uh, I think at about issue must be about issue eight. That's a weekly series, so that's starting. I think in the next couple of weeks. So. Yeah, a few weeks away. So I guess that would be just after January, just after. So probably just after that issue. Yeah. Was it issue five, um, six that we saw? Something like coming. that. Yeah. Um, so it's spinning out as a one shot, Alpha number one, and mm-hmm. I think then it's going into a limited series. Yeah. Uh, usually with these series, with, <clears throat> if I'm looking historically at X Men, you think of Edge of Apocalypse and a few other things. Usually these limited series that start with an alpha end with an omega. Yeah, that's what I was thinking yeah. as soon as I saw alpha. Uh, so what this says Are we going to gonna me, get two one-shots? What this says to me is this is an event. Yeah. And I know we don't necessarily like that idea of events. Uh, there's been a lot of them. Uh, uh, if they're done well, I don't mind events. I, this is probably yeah, a conversation yeah. for a different podcast. This, yeah. this is a thing, though. You get loads of events, then nothing. Mm. Then loads of events, then nothing. And, uh, you know, it's interesting yeah. because normally we think of summer events. This yeah. is start of January. Events can be good even if they're not labelled as events. I mean, one I'm thinking of currently is the Witching Hour, yeah. which is in Justice League Dark, Wonder Woman, and it had... Which, I, I love how we're talking about Marvel, we end up talking about DC, and when we were talking about DC, <laughs> we end up talking about Marvel. But, I mean, events can be good. I mean, there, there's a couple of different types of events. Witching Hour is a five-issue series event. Whereas metal was a thirty-five issue or whatever. If they're done well, they can be good. Um, I'm all on board for a good X-Men event as long as they keep it simple and streamlined. Because we were talking just before we started this, X-Men Red has been cancelled. X-Men Blue and Gold have come to a natural conclusion, mm-hmm. and now we're going to be getting Uncanny X-Men. So, as someone who's not as familiar with the X-Men timeline, I just want a bit of streamlining mm-hmm. and just easy to follow. Which is why I think. If it'd been my choice, and they're releasing a weekly X Men book, I would let it get to twelve issues, or yeah. or before I started thinking about you know spinoffs or events. But I'm excited about this because X Men's involved. Um, yeah. <clears throat> the the cover here shows what looks like an older Magneto, um, an older Colossus standing behind him. There's a young Jean Grey. I think those. Uh, I didn't know Colossus could grow facial hair. Oh, he can. Absolutely. Whenever he whenever he turns into an organic metal, I guess the vision there becomes metallic as well. Uh, those uh, that hairstyle would would tell me that that's maybe Danny Moonstar. I think that's Storm, Nightcrawler, and that's X Man, uh, an older mm-hmm. X Man standing behind. I've got no idea what this is with regard to story, but uh, I'm uh, I'm definitely going to be picking that up. Excellent. 
Excellent. So that's the the first Marvel pick then, which uh, again is uh, Age of X-Men Alpha. Uh, again, that's just going to be a one-shot uh, due for release this January. Uh, so yeah, we started off with DC onto Marvel, so we'll move on to an indie pick. It's going to be myself uh, introducing this one. One of my favorite in what what I love about indie comics in general is a lot of creative teams will stick together throughout it. You look at Saga, it's always Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples. You look at Deadly Class, it's always Rick Remender and Wes Craig. Um, another one of my favorite ones is actually a series called Criminal. And Criminal's been going since around 2006 with the, the same great creative team of Ed Brubaker uh, writing. Uh, which, yeah, you Ed know, Brubaker's one of my favorite artists. Gets Keith very excited. You know, you talk about his favorite Daredevil run, it's... Yeah, Brubaker. You talk yeah. about his favorite Captain America run. Yeah, it's Ed Brubaker. <laughs> you know, so it's um, but he's been writing this indie comic called over a decade now. Um, there are a good few volumes of it available, and Sean Phillips has always been his collaborator for it. Criminal is basically a throwback to like old nineteen forties noir movies. It's all about the guy doing one last job, the boxer who wouldn't throw the last fight. Um, it's all about down in their luck sort of characters. There's femme fatales. There's it's just a great, great piece, Criminal. Um, and what they tend to do through it as well uh, is they... Um, I'm losing my train of thought here as uh, Stephen wrote down, can I quietly go pee? Yes, you can, Stephen. Uh, you don't need to ask permission. <laughs> but anyway, Criminal, yeah, they're getting ready to release a new volume. Uh, you may be back soon. You're introducing the next title. Uh, <laughs> I do love professional for the, as fuck. I do love that uh, for this one criminal. It says in this double sized at no additional cost uh, debut issue. And what they also do with criminal that's great is there's about four or five volumes. Uh, the first volume might be about one character. The second volume is about a different character. But that first character might be in the background. Like it's all an interwoven okay. world. So it's like, oh, big time! Like pulp fiction. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, de- it definitely is. You'll see characters drinking in that bar where this new story is taking place. Um, because what they say for this one is Teague Lawless is back in town. So again, this is a character from the um, the previous series that has uh, that has been established. But they also say to this one that it's a perfect introduction to criminal. Uh, so hopefully it's a good starting point for people. The runs tend to be five, maybe six issues. They're never that long. Um, but I, I love this kind of stuff. And again, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. This is a creative team that just creates gold every time. Well, I mean, I, I think I said to you before we started here that I'd be really interested in grabbing one of your mm-hmm. uh, original trades of, of the original series of Crumble. Yeah, there's, um, a, there's a couple of good deluxe editions of There's good single issue, uh, good single trades as well, but it's maybe one of my fallen downs. It's something that, that you always say is don't follow a book, follow a writer, yeah. uh, or follow an artist or whatever. You Absolutely. Know, follow a creator. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my uh, my fallen down with this is, I mean, I love Ed Brubaker. I love mm-hmm. uh, his Daredevil run, as you said, his Daredevil run. His Captain America run to me is the stuff of legend mm-hmm. he, was, he was the man who uh he brought back bucky and in doing so created the winter soldier yeah you know which is now obviously a massive movie everybody knows his name um his uh his work in iron fist the mortal iron fist mm-hmm. is whenever whenever ed brubaker puts his puts his pen to something you know it's gonna be, be special legendary. it's gonna it's gonna be the stuff that and 60 years from now they're going that was a that was a legendary run of this character or that you know yeah. he, he defines characters because what he does is he takes the he takes the threads and the core of what makes characters makes those characters and he teases them out and just you mm-hmm. know 
he's fantastic. He's very good at what he does. Very good at what he does. Fantastic writer. Well, what I love about him with um, <clears throat> his indie stuff, nine times out of ten, he's working with Sean Phillips, as well as mm-hmm. Criminal, which they created together. He did a great series called Fatale, which mm-hmm. is all about a femme fatale through history. Loads of hints of Cthulhu in there as well. Ooh. Really great sort of, almost like a horror noir series. So it was really, really good. They also did another one called The Fade Out. Mm-hmm. which was set during Hollywood's golden period during it uh, was all to do with like the uh, the murder of an up-and-coming starlet and you know who did that but he's also done another great one which is with his uh, winter uh, with his Captain America Winter Soldier collaborator Steve Epting mm-hmm. called Velvet which mm-hmm. is phenomenal it's a female spy story set in the 60s mm-hmm. the 60s and 70s it's like a, if there was a female James Bond this would be the blueprint of it. Um, so yeah, uh, again, going back to what Keith said, uh, follow creators when it comes to indie stuff. You might not like the sound of a story, but if you trust their work, and as you say, Brubaker is a writer of you know great, great, great stuff where 30 years from now you'll be talking about him. Mm-hmm. Just look at what he's doing in the indie section as well because I think that's them also, when it comes to indie stuff, that's these creators unsanitized. You know, when you're playing in the Marvel sandbox, you're playing the DC sandbox, there might be an editor over your shoulder being like, you can't really do that. Oh, you can't do that. Get off, Ryan Oatley. Well, yeah. Well, when you look at what happened with him and Spider-Man and being thrown off for a little while and stuff. Um, although Brubaker maybe gets more of a break than most of Marvel, as you say, one of the golden rules used to be, you don't bring back Bucky Barnes. Uh-huh. And look, oh, what he, look what he did. Did it beautifully. Did it, beautifully. You know? it just goes to show, if these things are done well with... Um, like quality writing, quality creators with with respect for for the character and respect for the story, and nothing goes. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. We we read we read good stuff. Yeah, you know. Well, that's it. As I say, that was my first indie pick for uh, this time. Uh, again, on that wonderful date of January 9th, this is released. Nice little birthday present for myself there. Uh, yeah, so that's criminal number one. Writer Ed Brubaker and artist uh, Sean Phillips. So we'll go away again from the indie section and move back to the DC section. Uh, freshly returned from the bathroom is Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> he does get a lot of abuse on this podcast, but he also warrants it. So Did you fine. wash your hands? Did you wash your hands? Yeah, That's important. I, I even use my hand cream as well because I've got sensitive skin. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, he is single. Well, <laughs> Would I try? It's Norwegian formula that's badass. <laughs> So, pick number four is? It is The Other History of the DC Universe, number one, uh, written by John Ridley, who I've actually just uh, discovered through reading the synopsis, is the screenwriter behind 12 Years a Slave. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. Let it fall. It's it's nice when creators like this come into the comics industry, because I think it gives the industry a bit of legitimacy. I mean, not that that it shouldn't need it, but maybe in the mass market eyes, it's like, when screenwriters or people who could be writing movies, especially Oscar-nominated or Oscar-winning movies, yeah, and be like, yeah. I'm going to write a wee funny book about you know superheroes. No, I, I think the, the success of superhero movies uh, has opened the door for it to go the other way. Yeah. Mm. Whenever you look at Oscar-winning Suicide Squad and see that superhero movies can be taken... Uh, <coughs> uh, no. Talk about your joke, dickhead. <laughs> That's not the worst I've become. What's today. the title of the book? <laughs> uh, it's The Other Mystery of the DC Universe, written by John Ridley, art and cover by Alex Dos Diaz, and variant cover again by TBD. Who is this guy? 
TBD. TBD. He's doing all the covers for the. Tell you, he's doing all uh, DC's. He's doing DC's variant covers like crazy. He's busy, what or he or she. Um, I mean, what's interesting about this one? I'll, I'll let's stay and chat about it a little more. It's being done in a quite a unique style for a comic book, yes, in that it's uh, going to be more prose oriented. Yeah. So is this is this like um, the uh, handbook of the Marvel universe? A little or bit. The, uh, is it? Is it? Is that what? It, I mean, because I got no concept of what this is. Yeah, um, so what this is, it's uh, as the synopsis describes, it's a unique new series uh, presented uh, in as prose by Ridley, married with beautifully realized color illustrations from a selection of exciting illustrators. So uh, Alex Dostiaz is providing art for issue one, which is uh, it's going to follow the story of Jefferson... Jeff- you can almost talk. Yeah. Uh, Jefferson Pierce, uh, the man who will one day become Black Lightning. So I'm going to assume at this point he's not quite there yet. <laughs> Even though on the cover he's uh, standing there in all his uh, he is there yet. beautiful blue glory. Yes. And... Um, yeah, so what this is, it's a compelling new miniseries which is going to reframe iconic moments of DC history uh, whilst charting previously unexplored socio-political thread as seen through the prism of DC superheroes who come from traditionally disenfranchised groups mm-hmm. such as Jefferson Pierce, Black Lightning. Uh, future issues focus on characters such as Karen and Mal Duncan, Tatsu Yamashiro and Rene Montoya who Keith and I had a discussion about earlier, as I don't know who any of those people are. During the 52, she became the question. Question. Became the question. She's no more for the likes of Gotham Central and it's stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. She's in, uh, they name-checked her in uh, The Dark Knight, but they never said Renee. They kept calling her Montoya. Montoya. And yeah. she was the one whose um, mum was in the hospital. She sold out. Like Rachel's location oh, and all that okay. kind of stuff. Yeah. They kept calling her Montoya, but they never called her Rene Montoya. Mm-hmm. And if you look in the credits, it just says Montoya as well, which is interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, this this sounds interesting to me in terms of it seems to shed a spot, uh, put a spotlight on maybe lesser known members of the DC universe. I mean, obviously, it's in the title, The Other History. Everybody knows about Batman at this point, everybody knows about Superman, everybody knows about Wonder Woman. It's nice to see a bit more love given to these uh, other characters. And it's interesting. I mean, is John Ridley going to be writing all of these? Uh, from the looks of things, yeah. John Ridley is going to write all five issues. It's a five-issue uh, mini. And uh, they're going to have different artists mm-hmm. on um, each issue, which I think the format of this comic is, as it is prose yeah. with illustrations, it can work to an advantage having different artists, mm-hmm. as we find out with uh, no. No Justice, yeah. which we discussed before. Uh, it was issues one, two, and four were one yeah. artist, and issue three was a different artist. Yes. So sometimes it can be a bit of a, an imbalance yeah. 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 in the artwork. <laughs> that really put me off. Whereas with illustrations within prose, you can have many different art styles, yeah. which, you know, as it is a five issue mini, which focuses on different characters, you know, you can maybe pick up issue two, issue three, issue four without reading issue one, yeah. mm-hmm. and you'll still get a small glimpse at this other history. Um, of course this is part of DC's Black Label so we had a bit of a discussion last month Black Label continuity elsewhere uh, no, it's not it's outside of continuity because if you're going to call this the other history of the DC universe and then stick a Black Label on it you might as well say this, this is an Elseworld story this, this is that what that is right okay yeah it's a Black Label title um, probably should have led with that uh, <laughs> see this is the thing this brings up an interesting discussion regarding DC Black Label like as as anyone who's listened to this podcast before knows I'm Mr. DC 
But DC Black Label, uh, for lack of a better term, is really sort of pissing me off at the moment because they announced all these great titles. They announced Superman Year One. They announced the Kelly Sue Iconic Wonder Woman title. They announced the Greg Capullo Scott Snyder Batman title. Where are they? We're still looking at January here. Black Label was first announced maybe six months ago. Yeah. And this is what? Title number two? Two, yeah. You know, because Batman Who Laughs is not Black Label, it's normal canon. It's normal canon. Like, um, Black Label seems like such an exciting opportunity for me, and DC seem to be bungling it at the moment. You look at Batman Damned, that that reached the mainstream media, and yet they didn't have a big enough print run to satisfy yeah. people who might have been a casual reader. They're really bungling this. It's really frustrating. I'm gonna, uh, I mean, I'm going to come from my point of view and, and say, although the quality of what DC is doing at the minute is fantastic, mm-hmm. you know, some some of my favorite books at the minute are DC. Their 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 distribution schedule or their release schedule or mm-hmm. or how they how they um, announce books so far in advance whenever they're clearly not ready to put yeah. them out. Uh, I mean the the look what happened Doomsday Clock. Doomsday Clock is exactly what I'm the key. About, you know what I mean? That's the one that we're all hanging on, and we're the most expected DC book. Yeah. Of the, oh, easily of the release yeah, schedule for next year. Wait. I mean, and we've talked about this before in store, and I think on the podcast about what I'm now referring to as the Kirkman model. Yeah, you know, used which, to be the image model. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the, the the well the Kirkman model of you know the things that he's learned from TV from yeah. from Walking Dead. Yeah, where, get ahead of yourself. Where, yeah, get ahead of yourself. Write your first six issues and draw. You know, have your first six issues ready to go before you announce the thing. Yeah. And then you'll always be ahead of yourself unless, yeah. you know, someone dies. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and he, I mean, this is this is a guy who was able to launch a book. And I, I honestly think he was, it was a wee jab at DC. He launched Die, Die, Die. He didn't have covertly. it covertly. And it's going to stay on schedule. It's always going to stay yeah. on schedule. Oblivion song you know as well, I mean? wrote so the why, first so 12. Why should, why should two major comic companies, you know what I mean? Why should Marvel and DC, the two, the big two, yeah. why should they not be able to do the same thing? Just yeah. hold your horses when you're announcing something. Women yeah. and plan. You know, you've, you've got enough quality titles on the shelf. You don't need to be like, oh, but this is coming and this is coming. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's it doesn't enough. have to be about the next thing all the time. Yeah. You know? yeah. There's another great example in the previews book as well because we weren't long open and I pushed this title on a lot of people, uh, Batman Creature of the Night, which is fantastic. Kurt Busiak yeah. writing, Jean-Paul Leon on art. It follows this character called uh, Bruce Wayne, right? It's almost like an Elseworlds type thing. It's going to be four issues. Is that a Black Label as well? It's not Black Label, no. It this was, was Black Label before Black Label was cool. Well, I mean, shipping schedule is reaching John Wick levels at this point because <laughs> the first two came out month, uh, I think it was two months between them. Yeah, yeah. Then two and three, there was three months between them. And then three and four, there's been genuinely about six months between them. I mean, them. I assume that the John Wick books were just coming out with regard to the movie schedules. Yeah. Well, the comics are finally ahead of the movies <laughs> a year later. But no, I mean, release scheduling at the moment, it, it is a bit of a point because, you know, even this week, there was a great example. So when you run a comic store, you get this thing called the advanced shipping list, which is... Uh, you can top up your titles a week before they come out, so you're always in. You're always knowing what comes out the following week. So I top my orders. The up. idea being that you want to you want to maximize people's interest, make sure you have enough for your pull. But you don't want to be left over with a lot of stuff. Absolutely, you know you want to. You got to be clever with it. You know, for example, the title I'm going to refer to here, Heroes in Crisis. I knew that would be a big hit with people, even if they didn't have it on their pull list. We still had a good few people with it on pulls, but I knew I could top that up and sell it. And I think we've one copy left in store at number one, which is good because 
Then when number two comes out, maybe someone will go, oh, maybe I'll pick up number one. But I did my advanced shipping last week, and Heroes in Crisis was on it. So I was like, right, let's order some extra copies. Then I get my invoice on a Friday, looked at the invoice, and started having a panic. I was like, where did Heroes in Crisis go? Have you know another thing you'll know about me is my frequent battles with Diamond. <laughs> I thought maybe they just missed it off the release I don't schedule. Think you're a load of most. Uh, uh, yeah, I think retailers, I yeah. think you know there's a lot of you know a lot of people who understand where we're coming from on that. But I started panicking, so I looked up the DC website, and it had just been moved to the 31st instead of the 24th. No announcement. It had been the 24th ever since it was announced, and then suddenly it was put back by a week, and. This I know Keith. Thing. I know Keith's mentioned this once or twice. DC events can sometimes just oh, yeah. scheduling can go a little screw with. Another thing, like Kirkman, like you were saying with Diary of the Anna, but song, he writes what six? Yeah, well, six, twelve, 18. whatever. Why does DC DC have the money, yeah. the power to go? Or Marvel? Let's I mean, Marvel. Marvel sorry, the big, the big DC team. and Marvel have the money and the power to set a team aside and go write this story from start to finish. We'll release it when it's done. Don't tell anybody about it. Keep it in secret. Heroes of Crisis yeah. then gets announced. What, a seven issues? Seven. Oh, wait, it's nine. I think Doomsday it went up to eight, and then it went up yeah. to nine. Yeah. Yeah. Doomsday Clock, monthly title. Yeah. Went, skipped a couple yeah. of months, then went to bi-monthly. Yeah. So what, what's well, going on? It's the big one. The bigger one. And what's really frustrating, things? actually, with Doomsday, oh, we're totally getting off topic here, but what's really frustrating about <clears> Doomsday <throat> Clock as well is that Gary Frank is going to do a new Shazam series, which is launching. Yeah. And he just shared his variant cover on uh, Instagram. What are you doing doing variant covers of Shazam when you have to finish Doomsday Clock? First comment on his post wasn't, that's a beautiful piece of art. I said that in the group. It wasn't like a beautiful piece of art. The first comment was, why are you working on this when Doomsday Clock shipping late? You know, because that's people, they they want Doomsday Clock on such a quality title. Like, with all due respect, screw Shazam for a couple of months. Can you finish Doomsday Clock first? Yeah, that's it. You know? I think another point worth talking about just whenever we're mentioning this, is the importance to an independent comic retailer of a pull list. Yeah. Is if you're if you're coming down to the shop and you're interested in something, start a pull list, even if it's only one title or two titles, yeah. you know, wherever else. And that does two things. That makes sure you get it in time and that makes sure that, that makes makes an independent retailer confident in what they're ordering yeah. so you know what I mean and if you have a pull list in the shop come down and pick it up it, it, it also works in that sense of if it's going to be cancelled or not cancelled but if the, the shipping date moves like you might come down say on the 24th this week and go oh I'm here to pick up Heroes in Crisis do you have a pull list no 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 just want to pick it up off the racks they might think you're out of stock of it whereas if you have a pull list it'll be in your box the following week you don't have to worry about an that an exact either. analogy um as you know, I work in music, work in the, the music industry, and uh, it's it's like a gig. It's like you release tickets beforehand, and people in Northern Ireland especially are terribly bad at buying tickets. Yeah. But for an artist, you know, for a promoter coming down and buying tickets ahead of time gives us the the just the, the, the confidence that people are coming. We mm-hmm. know that we can already pay the sound man. We can already pay the support bands. We can all relax. We can yeah. have a great night. You know what I mean? There'll always be people that'll turn up on the door, but if everybody turns up on the door, that is just squeaky bum time until yeah. the door, you know, until the door closes. So it's the same. It's the same thing. You know what I mean? It's the same analogy. You know. Yeah. So, so yes, come down no. and set up a bullet. No, definitely. I mean, it's it's just having the confidence, knowing that issue is always going to be there. Yeah. If shipping schedules are a mess, that doesn't affect your order. It will still be there for you. And you're pretty cool with letting 
both drop stuff up the list. Oh, absolutely. If, you know, if or drop stuff and then put it back on. Yeah, we all do. It. <laughs> anyway, but sorry. no, it's it's totally true. I mean, with with us, I mean, if you're not enjoying a title, we. We, we don't like to force you to read something you're not enjoying. So if you're three issues into a six-issue miniseries you're not liking, just drop it. There's plenty of choice, plenty of quality. Plastic Man? Ooh, Good exp- No. He, he <laughs> Definitely Plastic Man. <laughs> I think he got, a, oh, he got um, Elastic Man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, so that very long-winded way was yeah. uh, other history of the DC Universe. It, I actually forgot what we were <laughs> It turned into me slagging off DC Black Label quite for a while. I just want um, to finish off quickly here. It is uh, like Batman Damned. It is a DC Black Label title, so it's a prestige format. But this yeah, is... Oh, God, this is going to turn off again. Is this prestige format as a normal prestige this or is, big massive yeah, stupid well, things? So that's, that's the thing, right? This is How many pages we told? It's 64. 64. Okay. 64 pages. It's that's, seven. Ex- that's the exact length of the Dark Knight Returns prestige editions. Now, those are normal-sized comic books. Okay. Well, this actually says approximately 8.5 inches times 10.875. Where does that have to say approximately? Have you not got a ruler? Have you not got a ruler? (laughs) Well, it says approximately 8.5 inches inches by 10.875. Approximately 0.875. Which is a very precise approximation. better be a square-bound book that is normal-sized. It's not going to be. It's going to be a magazine (laughs) size because, see, if you look, the next one here, yeah. Mysteries of Love and Space, prestige format, doesn't have the measurements. Yeah. That's right. going to be magazine size. What I just want to iterate with this is, it's not a comic book. It's prose with illustrations, so I feel like this is the perfect format. Do you want to alliterate or do you want to iterate? Iterate. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Silence fills the room. I think that no, I know what you're getting at. I mean, it's, yeah. it is a prose book, so I don't mind something like this maybe being slightly differently formatted yeah. to a comic. That's fine. Batman Dan, I didn't understand why they did it, yeah. but that's by the by. Anyway, so yeah, so that was the other history of the DC Universe. Uh, we'll go through one more title and then we'll take a wee break. Um, so the next title is back to DC. Uh, sorry, back to Marvel, I beg your pardon. Uh, with a title that Marvel you just didn't... help yourself. Well, Marvel didn't hold the rights to this title for no, a long, long time. Exactly it was right. Dynamite it's, for a long like time. Star Wars, it sort of switched yeah, it by. I switched back. confused when I saw that there. I so for this Marvel. particular Marvel title, I have to ask you, what is best in the word? DC. To crush your enemies. <laughs> to see them driven before you, to hear the lamentations. Ah, uh, lamentations. Uh, so Marvel are launching Conan the Barbarian. Uh, for me, made famous by uh, by Arnie's rendition of uh, Conan and Conan the Barbarian and Conan, Conan the Destroyer in the 80s, uh, when the man could hardly speak a word of English, uh, but he still wanted to hear the lamentations. But he still world. looked like a god. Um, uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, of sword and sorcery, mm-hmm. uh, fantasy stuff. Uh, strangely, I don't normally read it in comics. Uh, normally, it's in novels or role playing games. Um, but what got me with this is the writer is our good friend Jason Aaron, uh, which means Southern Bastards is going to continue to ship with <laughs> Southern <laughs> Bastards, <laughs> which is a book that Alan got me into. <laughs> that uh, just suddenly stopped. It's just stopped. Because Jason Aaron has become one of Marvel's golden boys. Yeah. Uh, he's and rightfully so. Brilliant writer. He's writing Star Wars. He's writing The Avengers. Uh, very famously, and for many years, he's been writing Mighty Thor. Thor, uh, yeah. From Thor, God of Thunder, uh, right the way through uh, the Jane Foster sort of years to the current Thor series. Uh, he's the writer. The, uh, the artist is 
Mahmoud Ashrar, uh, known for Uncanny X Men and all new different, all new, all different Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I haven't thought this was sort of this was going to be on my list until you, until you mentioned it, but uh, it sounds great. It's pure sword and sorcery, mm-hmm. uh, sword and sorcery, and probably a lot of violence. Um, Conan was originally written uh, back in the Jesus, I think it was the twenties, nineteen twenties, by mm-hmm. uh, Robert E. Howard. Um, it was it was part of that. Um, I guess there was there was Lovecraft, there was Howard, there was um, you know all the the, the John Carter, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff. Yeah, uh, and this was the sword and that was the science fiction side. This was the sword and sorcery side uh, of that. Uh, Conan takes place in a in a in a fantasy world that is uh, you know nearly part Stone Age, part fantasy. Um, it's somewhat related to to our world, um, but not quite. Conan is the Sumerian, uh, black-haired, sullen-eyed, sword in hand. He's he's a bit of a bastard. He's he's a thief. He's a you know a sword fighter. He's a, a reaver, a slayer. Um, he's you know he he's Jason Art's perfect for this because you know Thor is in part I guess based on Conan. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he, he, Robert E. Howard's creation is returning to comics. Um, Conan is, is always epic. Um, I don't know exactly what the story's going to cover. Apparently it's going to be uh, an ages-spanning saga. Um, and Jason Aaron does that spanning of ages well, as you can you can see currently in, currently in Conan. Um, or currently in Thor. He's got... Uh, our Thor, you know, our age of Thor, the Marvel age of Thor, he's got young Thor who takes place back at the, you know, sort of yeah. back in the barbarian age, back in the Stone Age, and he's got future Thor, which takes um, place. Jason Aaron is writing Avengers. Jason Aaron is writing so Avengers. So he's doing the 10,000 BC. And he the, is, the yeah, modern exactly. Avengers, he seems which, to, he's, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. Um, so he's the perfect choice for this. So uh, this is definitely going on. Uh, this is definitely going on my full list. Uh, Forty-eight pages. It is noted as parental advisory. Uh, Which is unusual in a sense um, for. Uh, it is slightly unusual for a Marvel title. It is, yeah. It you know, is. I I always look at, and I could be wrong here, but I always look at Marvel as slightly more family friendly than DC can be. Yeah, yeah probably and not wrong. Th- there will always be more adult titles in both cases, but it's what I would say about this is the first thing that it made this stand out to me was Jason Aaron. The second yep. part was for mature readers because I like that my worry was when Marvel got the character back, they were going to sanitize it. They were going to make it another Thor, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it was all going to be very family friendly. Sometimes you want a slightly more adult, uh, orientated title. So, um, and again, just going back to the whole creator thing, anything Jason Aaron writes, I will get straight Great, on board yeah. with. Absolutely. And even um, just down to the covers as well. Isad yeah. Rebic has been a long time um, Marvel guy. Uh, Those beautiful um, painterly style Loki, covers. Silver Surfer Requiem, Submariner, Secret Wars. Yeah. One of the iron covers there is amazing. Hildebrand. Yeah, that's very clean. Uh, the interior art looks, looks really clean as well. You know, nice, nice colors and nice... Uh, it looks well. So, I'd be yeah. surprised. Is there no variant cover being done by Alex Ross? Because I would have thought that would be more uh, right we've up got his variant alley. covers. We've got about eight variant covers there. The one that's there's two that are jumping out at me. John Cassidy. Oh, uh, Bill Sinkowitz. That could be good. Uh, 
John Cassidy, who I sort of Scotty know Young. quite well through uh, an old Heroes for Hire series mm-hmm. and also the Lone Ranger and Addy Granoff. That's going to be a beaut. I'm saying these are all great artists, but they're no TBD. <laughs> there's a Scotty Young yeah. Scotty Young of course going to be interesting Addy Granoff I think this is going to horribly date this podcast but I think Addy Granoff is at um, MCM Comic Con as well which we're off to tomorrow you're heading off tomorrow as a trader indeed Brilliant. as a trader for the first ever time fantastic congratulations yeah. thank you uh, so that's Conan the Barbarian 1 yeah, so that brings us to what we'll call the end of part one. Uh, five titles down. Uh, we'll take a little break and be back after this where we will jump back in with another indie title and go from there. Whose was that? <laughs> Fucking Kieran. And we're back. And we're back. Okay, so back once again for part two then of the uh, previews podcast. So... Same again, we're going to uh, mix up a little bit, a few indie titles, a few DC, a few Marvel. We're kicking off with one which breaks the golden rule of any uh, comic book or book in general. People say, don't judge a book by its cover. That's exactly why I'm interested in this. The cover is basically David Bowie. Um, this is an indie title. It's from uh, Image Comics called Gunning for Hits. Uh, this is going to be number one of a uh, short miniseries. Uh, this is a really unique sounding title to me because not only... Is it going to be, obviously, a monthly comic? But at the end, it says each issue will include a background feature. Um, the guy who wrote this, actually, is a former music producer, he, um, a gentleman called Jeff Rugby. And uh, he's actually produced albums for David Bowie, Big Star. And it says at the end of each issue, there will be a background feature, which will probably give an insight into the music industry, but also a Spotify playlist, which, of course, was done first by... Well... Apparently not Young Animals. No, it wasn't because the god that is Rick Remender did a Deadly Class playlist <laughs> long before that. Rick Remender. Well, there was a metal podcast as well before Milk Wars. Oh, see, uh, Milk Wars just copies everything. Uh, you know what I mean? No, 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 Young Animals was before metal. Young Animals. Yeah. Oh, many, yeah. How many, how many of these uh, comic uh, had, a, had a vinyl? <laughs> young Animals is a vinyl. I think that's more to do with Jared Wade's <laughs> pulling the music industry. House of Wax has a vinyl. Anyway, back to the uh, task at hand. Yeah, so Gunning for Hits number one, uh, set in the shady New York music, uh, New York music scene of the mid eighties. Uh, Gunning for Hits stars Martin Mills, a record company talent scout with an inscrutable past, as I'm sure all record company uh, talent scouts have. Not true. Uh, <laughs> especially Keith Miller. Uh, follow Martin as he attempts to sign a rock band that will conquer the world in the music business. Um, but it seems to have overtones of crime to it as well. Uh, really cool looking title, sweet looking preview art for it as well by the artist uh, Moritat. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, another good example of how the comic industry does actually attract talent from all sectors of entertainment. We talked before about how a screenwriter or a, uh, sorry, it's a screenwriter from 12 yeah, Years a Slave has come to the comic industry. This is a good example, someone from the music industry. Coming in, they have a story to tell. Has he written anything before? No, this is uh, this is first. No, I um, mean, and, uh, rugby has a has a is is a good guy to be writing this. This is obviously coming from his from his knowledge. Um, he's he's been involved in the music industry since the seventies. Um, he uh, was part of the setup team for Rigo Disc, and uh, he's he's an A and R guy, you know. So he 
he's the sort of guy who is out and about on the scene. Uh, I think he worked in New York. And mm-hmm. A&R guys, what A&R guys do, are effectively go out and they're, they're the scouts that go out and uh, not not like high-level scouts that go out and discover bands and pull them in and then they, they develop them. Um, so it's like a sort of artist and repertoire sort of stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? So this is this guy knows what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, he knows the music that. industry. He's he's worked with not just... I mean, Bowie is obviously one of the top guys that he's worked with, but, oh, yeah. you know, he's signed up to... You know, he's worked with a lot of people. Um, worked with Elvis Costello. He worked with Bill Hicks, the comedian, before he passed away. Does he cancer. still work with music? Or? Um, I don't know what his situation is now. Well, he's working in comics, uh, <laughs> I would imagine, you know. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, a lot of a lot of different people on his on his repertoire: Pete Townsend, uh, Undertones, um, Yugo Ono. Uh, yeah, artist soundtrack catalogs: uh, Great Escape, Chili City, Bang Bang. Um, yeah, this will be a really yeah, interesting look, and I like that it's set in the mid eighties as well. So this will be a real insight into that time. It, it almost sounds to me like a relatively unique way of doing your memoirs. You, know, you think yeah. of the experiences you had, the people you met. Um, a certain scene that you were around. So I have to say, this really, really does intrigue me. On that note, I just want to make a quick comparison because you're saying that this guy, uh, what's his name? Rugby. Jeff Rugby. Jeff Rugby uh, has taken his experiences from his career and he's putting it into a comic book. Does, you, does that sound familiar to you? Uh, any? I know where this is going, but... I was going to say Tom King. I was going to say Tom King okay. as well. Tom <laughs> okay. Thank God. <laughs> Where did you think I was? Going? I don't know. <laughs> Tom King, you know, being obviously this is probably something to do with uh, Blackville Brides, perhaps. No, I was, well, no, there's that. But uh, I was going to say Tom King was in Walt Disney. Um, yeah. He wrote Chair of Babylon through his own experiences, and that really kick, you know, kickstarted his career. In was comics. Crisis so PTSD, things like that. Yeah. So no. I'm, just, I'm just saying, you know, there's comparison. Um, he's he's follow, you know, he's following what Tom King's done. Obviously, look how big Tom King is now. So. It is interesting, actually, just because I thought it was probably going the way of Jared Way or something like that. But he hasn't really written any music, comics. Hey, he's the lead singer of My Chemical Romance, but he is the curator of DC Young Animals. Yeah. So he had a comic background before he formed MCR. Yeah. So uh, is this why you like Young Animals so much? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh it's, it's, no, it all makes sense. it's unequivocal love. Yes. Um, but, uh, but he actually has got a good repertoire of comics. He wrote a great series called The Umbrella Academy, which has just launched its third volume. About to be a Netflix show. Netflix show yeah. He wrote The True Lives of Fabulous Killjoys, which was an accompaniment to Danger Days. The Brilliant album. This is, album. This is the yeah. one music taste I agree with Stephen on. Uh, no, we both like Oasis. Oh, sorry, Oasis as well. Sorry, I take it back. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, just a little sidetrack of music. I wasn't aware of that at all, and I'm gonna, that's going to my pull list. Definitely, that seems. Yeah, I think it just seems, yeah. going back, I mean, even the title page says Gunning for Hits, Music Thriller. You know, I just I think this is going to be great and a great insight into the music scene in the 80s, pre-internet, pre-Spotify, pre, you know, this is back when how many records you sold, how many you sold whatever mattered. Label, whatever labels were big. Labels were big. They yeah. spent lots of money on videos. This is, although I suppose this is sort of pre-MTV, but I always think of Queen as the first people who did a music video, Bohemian Rhapsody. It was the, I'm sure it was preceded by that, but... I think the Beatles. But it used oh, to no, always no, just no, be well, like live yeah, performances. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, but at the Sugar, actual Sugar video... Hill Gang, wasn't it? Sugar Hill Gang. I always uh, think of Queen for some reason, Bohemian Rhapsody. Kieran and I are too young for this conversation. We'll just... Uh, uh, 60s were hard. 
<laughs> Thanks again, Jar. <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, Gunning for Hits number one. Um, and again, that's going to debut on January 9th. I see a pattern here. It's going to be a good day. Did you do this purpose? You pick all your picks to come out? I actually really didn't, but it's starting to seem that way. But the, um, have, you, have you noticed yet that uh, as he's right on your birthday, it means you'll be working your birthday? I love what I do, so I have no problem working on my More birthday. More importantly, you'll be working the day after your birthday. So I don't get hangovers, so that's fine. That's <laughs> famous last words. He's 36, so I'd say... Uh, I'm still 35, thank you very much. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, he's, he's edging closer to whenever he's hanging over his head, he's going to really... I'm going to quit drinking. Uh, yeah, so we'll move away from that. That was uh, Gunning for Hits. Moving on now to one Kieran's going to be introducing us to, and back on to um, DC. This is one I'm particularly actually excited about, only found it about today, and it's definitely going on my put list tomorrow. Um, or after we finish recording this podcast. Well, physically it's going on a put list. Um, this is the Superman 100 page, Super Spectacular. Um, it's number one, but I'm assuming it's a one shot. It is a one shot. Alliteration there, Superman 100 page. I love the addition of super there. I have to say, super, super spectacular. spectacular. I just about fit it on the previews board. <laughs> um, but this this is written by Marv Wolfman, um, art and cover by Claudio Castellini. Marv Wolfman, we have a legend. He's Marv Wolfman has since. touched everything. He's written Superman. He's written Batman. Everything. He's written Suicide Squad. Man, everything. Yep. Um, this is an unpublished tale of Superman. Um, this was originally written for the 2006-2009 run of Superman Confidential. And what is Marv Wolfman quoted as saying about this? It's He's quoted as saying this is his best Superman story he's written. Yeah. Um, so it must be... I mean, that's pretty high praise. Sort of <laughs> he must be some sort of good. I mean, he's praising himself, so... Um, Marv Wolfman created Blade. Yeah. He uh, wrote the film as well, he created Blade back in the 70s. Werewolf um, by Night, wasn't it? Uh, he wrote Crisis of Infinite Earths yeah. um, with George Perez. Uh, created the new Teen Titans. Um, he created Deathstroke, didn't he? Oh, that's he an interesting must one. must have, yeah. I'm really sure Marvel when created Deathstroke. Um, he's, notable, he's notable in everything. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man, Daredevil, Nova, Crisis of Adventures, Superman, Nightwing. Yep, Absolutely. But uh, worked on some of Marvel's early uh, horror comics, mm. uh, notably the Tomb of Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Sorry, I take that back. I said Werewolf by Night. That was actually Moon Knight was his first appearance in that. Exactly Blade right. was in yeah. Tomb yeah, of Dracula. That's exactly it. Take and, it back. Uh, yeah, and that's interesting because, as we said earlier on, this is next year is Mar- Marvel's 80th anniversary. 80th anniversary yeah. And they're some of the first things they're releasing. Uh, to to Margaret the anniversary are uh, like uh, homages to the likes of Tomb of Dracula and some of the war comics they started doing and some of the yeah. Western comics they started doing. So uh, that's interesting that this is. Anyway, yeah. sorry, uh, I, okay. I diverge. Um, well, basically, even just the story as as someone who's slowly getting into Superman, who wasn't in the Superman movie over a year ago. Is that something to do with that amazing writer Brian Michael Bendis who's come on the Superman and maybe uh, American Alien? <laughs> Um, I take full, you know, credit for that recommendation. <laughs> I, I will also jump in here. I did buy American Alien through your recommendation. Did you read it? And I did read it. Okay, you yeah. said you bought it. <laughs> uh, it. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I bought it. I read it. I thought it was very good, actually. Very, very. It good. Got me in the Superman. Uh, it didn't get me in the Superman. To be honest, that's um, why you read it wrong. 
<laughs> no, I read it and I appreciated it and I did like it, but Superman's still a character. American Alien is one of those ones I recommend the people as, even if you're not in the Superman, because it condenses 75 years of history into one yeah. book. I, I'm going to jump on this with what Kieran's saying as well. I'm not a big Superman guy. I'm a massive Batman guy, not much of a Superman guy. And I know we tease Stephen quite a bit about Bendis and this, but Bendis for me has re-energized Superman. Yeah. Action comics is bloody spectacular. Mm-hmm. I think it's absolutely fantastic. It shows nods to the past. It shows a deep appreciation of the character. Um, it it plays with the reader a little bit with all the little different desks being shown, and it's just a fun title. And that's what Superman to me should be. It's yeah. fun, you know. It's hopeful. Later it's hopeful. you know and. Again, I go back to it as I say, we, we do tease Stephen a bit, he you know, does hate Bendis. A bit, a bit is an understatement. Yeah, but, you know, I wasn't a massive Bendis fan, but I have a real appreciation for his you, work now, I have to say. Uh, and I did read Secret Invasion recently for the first time, it was bloody awesome. Yeah, it's a great story. To be yeah. So this is a prestige format one-shot, and um, hopefully normal says No measurements. Prestige, <laughs> no. prestige format is... It's normal. square box. Magazine, square magazine box. format. Yeah. 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 But it did say prestige format for the uh, the other history of the DC Universe, but it had those measurements. And Batman and the, yeah. Precise, approximate. We should go back and look at the previews for Batman see it says it. see if there's a... Maybe they did tell us. Yeah. Um, but this, um, this follows basically Superman's <laughs> first few days in Metropolis. Um, so most likely start, even on the cover, you'll see the Daily Planet, so maybe... His first few days working there. Yeah. Um, it's really nice cover. I've just been sitting looking at it. Um, it's basically like a like a wheat field leading into... The cover is bloody spectacular. Isn't and that? That's class. That's class. It actually yeah. echoes... There's Superman's shadow. It echoes one of my favourite shots of Man of Steel. And I know Man of Steel is a divisive movie, but see when he's learning to fly for the first time? Yeah. And there's a part where it focuses on the ground and it's just a shadow flying. Absolutely love that shot. Mm. And that's what that has echoes of. But um, it is interesting, as you say, I didn't actually, it's a weird thing to say in a way, but I didn't notice the wheat fields, I was so busy looking at the buildings, Yeah, but I do like that It's where he's coming detail. from and where he's going to. Exactly. I don't suppose Theresa May is running through that field, no? No. Um, so <laughs> she's, she's a bit busy fucking up the country. <laughs> I think this is the first of the previews tonight that it isn't releasing at the start of January. This what one's the enough? 30th. Um, the 30th of January. Oh, the, um, the other history of the DC Universe, uh, I actually forgot to mention is released on the 30th of January. Oh, okay. There so, we go. Uh, That's be, why I thought that was the only one. Don't be rushing in trying to buy Alan that for his birthday because <laughs> it'll be a couple of weeks late. <laughs> but yeah, this is definitely going to put us. You, uh, you told good. a great story earlier on before we started recording. Yeah, I was, uh, was going to say you with, should say this um, about the uh, just, what can I go on covers and stuff. Yeah, pulled it up here. So um, basically, I'm not even going to read it. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, with the Comics Code Authority, um, they came in to sort of try to make comics accessible to all readers and so that was that was triggered by like all the horror comics yeah. like Satuma Dracula and like uh, yeah. werewolf comics and uh, basically they had a big list of things that couldn't show up in a horror comic so um, Wolfman was one zombies were another um, mentioned at the capitation things like that um, so then they decided but there's a writer here Marv Wolfman um, and they wondered if they could get his name into a comic up to that point writers didn't have credit for for actual books, um, it was just the case of the yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I look back over my old Batman comics and stuff. Creators are not on the covers. No. It's only in the inside, you know, first yeah. page written by Art Batman. But on the Marv Wolfman's first issue, I'm not sure what issue it is. It was Maybe. DC. It was DC. Yeah. Um, they basically decided leading the way again. They basically decided to put his name on the cover. Um, so they just put written by Wolfman. 
um, to see if it would get caught by the authority, and it didn't. Um, it ended up on shelves, and that was the first time that anybody got their name on the cover. But it was first; it was the only time that they were able to get Wolfman in the. And then after that, they got rid of it. After that, then all writers were given writers yeah. and artists were given their credit on the cover. Mm-hmm. So that's you know that's a, a pioneering thing. Oh, yeah, trailblazer. Was, yeah, absolutely. That was the only thing I heard recently, and it's it, it interested it's me. Clearly stuck with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again, that's uh, that's the Superman 100 page super spectacular number one. 999 issue. As it's well. a $9.99 title, one shot, 96 pages. 96 pages, but it's 100 page spectacular. That's actually <laughs> a very good one. <laughs> I think really, Coming with four well, pages of ads. Let's knock a couple of cents off that. Uh, well, I mean, is it, is it? No, of course. It is. It's an 96 page spectacular, but, but you've got, got your cover and your inside cover and you've got your back cover and your inside back there cover. There better be art in the inside cover and the back cover. <laughs> I know, but how much of that is that? <laughs> because I've got cover. to tell you, there's something that really pissed me off the past month with DC Comics. I only, had to, I only had to read those six pages of Green Lantern by Grant Morrison once before I decided I was going to buy it. Yeah. Why, was it why was it cutting off? I didn't even read those six why pages. Was it, but why was it cutting off? pages in the stories that I it's one of those things I mean it's if it cuts off pages of a story that is for me totally unacceptable well, that if it's an addition to the pages in there I understand that someone who's picking up Batman might not be picking up Superman they might not be picking up Suicide Squad so they've got to advertise it in all of them obviously the likes of yourself and a lot of, pretty much everybody at this table we read a lot of the titles that come out every week but you know I have people who come in this store their pull list might be one title that week yeah. you know so it might be they don't read Batman, Detective Comics, or Superman, but they pick up action my, comics. My pull list not, um, Whereas for someone like yeah. ourselves, we will read, we will yeah. see that four, five, six times. Um, so that's so 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 that times five yeah. as a full issue. Yeah, you know what I mean. So so I was DC ripped me off like two issues in the last two or three months. Did that be Batman fifty as well? But Alan gives us free comics every time. You comics. get a free comic every time. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> but that's coming out Alan's pocket, not DC's pocket. But the thing about it is, I don't mind the previews at the back. I just don't read them. Yeah. What I hate are the stickers adverts. Oh, that the art is me. so don't similar to the issue. And you're reading it and it's like, have this quickly. There was one issue of Justice League I remember reading. And the art was so similar. And I actually followed that part yeah. of the story. Where there was like a monster terrorizing the city. It's like, have a sticker. Yeah. It, it hurt me with, um, I think it was a Green Lantern issue. It was the Green Lantern Flash crossover. Yeah. And I was literally, you're you totally reading it. The, the last room. panel of the page was Flash running out of the room. Then the next panel was Flash running down the street eating the Snickers. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually just as a little segue. That's a tremendous benefit of indie comics. Indie comics put any adverts at the back. They don't interrupt the story as they go through. It's something Marvel and DC both do. You know, one's probably more guilty than the other. That's fine. But indie comics, you read an image comics, 32 pages in a row, that's your story. Yeah. And then it letters pages at the back. Um, and that's another thing I love I about love indie comics. Love, that. Yeah, love it. You know, it's, it's a way of involving the people. I mean, this is something that Keith and I chatted in the store about recently with what DC are doing with Nightwing. Um so we're spoilers are going to be here it's an issue it's been out for over a month but well, you're going to hear more spoilers in our reviews episode this is also true this is also true um but yeah with batman 55 at the end of it dick grayson gets shot you don't know what happens you read nightwing 50 he's got memory loss he doesn't remember who he is but dc had like solicited what was it five or six issues of story mm-hmm. yeah to follow that it was going to go up to like nightwing 56 and then suddenly they just scrapped it they shut oh. down their forums communicating with the fans yeah. 
they suddenly took a step back from it, and the, again, this was a big mistake, I think, because mm-hmm. especially now, because you know, back, you know, back in the day, uh, comic letters pages were the only way for for readers to communicate with 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 the comic company or with the writers or with yeah. the, you know with the artists. You'd write a letter, but now you know they had set up these forums and stuff, and I think it's uh, the fact was that they shut down retailer forums. Yeah, so. Forms that, that that people like your, yourself, mm-hmm. you can prove you're a retailer. You can sign on to those, and then you can feed back. Yeah, that's what customers are enjoying. Yeah, yeah. what my numbers are. This is you know, but and I think maybe that is part of the reason that DC have been doing so well the last few years. You know, yeah. they've been listening to what. But so whenever you see, whenever you see them shutting those lines of communication down, you know what I mean. And now, of course, we get Facebook, and we get Twitter, and everything else, but. Mm-hmm. Whenever you see them shutting those lines of communication down, I don't, I don't think that alarm bells ring. goes well. But I still love seeing letters, pages, yeah. and comics. I still yeah. love seeing, you know, I've never written one. I, I'm tempted yeah. to occasionally. Uh, Do you know that was George R. R. Martin's first ever published work? Was in a Marvel comic in the seventies. He wrote a letter to oh. Marvel Comics, and it got published in the back. And it's just George Martin. Right. It was in uh, this uh, documentary. I watched Superheroes Decoded. And oh, he pointed it out. Yeah. He yeah. points Fantastic. it out. He's yeah. like, "This yeah. was my first ever published work." Yeah. I was like, uh, thinking an Avengers issue in the seventies. And that's a key issue. Yeah. And now it's a key issue. <laughs> and if it wasn't before this podcast, it will be after. Uh, yeah, <laughs> anyway, there's a really great example of that, and it's uh, Peter Capaldi. Yes, right when, about how he wants to be Doctor yeah. Who. When he was a child, he wrote into the official Doctor Who magazine saying how much he loved the show. He loved Doctor Who. He wanted to be Doctor Who. Uh-huh. And fast forward. He was Doctor Who. I, I and I didn't watch Doctor it because the writing was so crap. <laughs> I wrote in the Doctor Who magazine when I was a kid. Never got published. Never got published. Uh, <laughs> cool. But, uh, sorry, just before we move on from this, there's one thing. Is the cover and artwork by Claudio Castellini? Yes. Because that's that's reason enough to pick it up because he's a fantastic artist. Good artist, good writer. Good artist, good writer. 100 pages, can't go wrong. 96 pages. 100 pages, including front and back covers. Um, yeah. So we'll move away from DC and over to Marvel. Uh, I'll introduce this one, but I'm sure the guys will chirp in with a few things here. Um, this is one I'm personally really looking forward to, as it includes one of my favorite DC, uh, Marvel Legacy characters, Dark Hawk. and also one of my favorite Marvel recent characters, the Legacy being Silver Surfer, not Dark Hawk, and the uh, recent addition to the Marvel Universe, Cosmic Ghost Rider. So this is Guardians of the Galaxy number one. Uh, which is going to be, you know, we probably don't even need to tell you what titles are coming out soon, written by Marvel writers, because it's always going to be Donny Cates. <laughs> just, right. Except if it's Jason Aaron. Except if it's yeah. Jason Aaron. Um, this is actually reuniting the team who uh, created the Thanos run, which introduced Cosmic Ghost Rider. Yeah. So Donny Cates writing, Jeff Shaw on art. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. I mean, I, I, I get asked in the store quite a lot about jumping on points for Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy throughout its entire history has always had a rotating team of superheroes. It's never just been Star-Lord, Gamora, Rocket, Groot and Drax. That's the movie version and that's who they chose and that's cool and it works brilliantly. And they actually they, they sort of made a wee nod to that in the second movie with the Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. team that was led by Sylvester Stallone. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, that's the one thing Guardians 2 missed out on, though. It could have had a Tango and Kaish reunion. Absolutely. And yet, Kurt Russell and Stallone <laughs> did not share the screen. What was that about? 
uh, was the thing part of the Guardians for a while? Thing was part of the Guardians actually in a fairly recent run. Fairly recent run, yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it's interesting. You know, obviously I'm talking about that. There's this great looking. Um, it's a wraparound cover. A wraparound variant by Jeff Shaw that, and it's hashtag Who are the Guardians? I mean, the characters you've got in there. Obviously, you've got Rocket. You've got Groot. You've got your standard people. You've also got Hard the Duck there. You've got Thor in the background. What that is, what that is, Alan is all previous members of Guardians of the Galaxy. That, that's what's great about it. Which includes Galactus. I was yeah. wondering if yeah. he was there as a yeah. overbearing threat or nope. if he was a member. Nope, he is that Jean Grey Phoenix? Uh, looks like it. Looks like it. It's upside down to me, but looks like it. Um, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, the Guardians have always been a rotating it cast. Was, yeah, it so wasn't until the movie that they sort of, they sort people of solidified thought, that cast. Yeah. And uh, they were, you know, so because the movie decided that's the way they were going to be then, that's the way they were going to be, you know. What yeah. I mean? So that's the way they've been in the comics. So this, this relaunch, I think, is the first time that they've they've now gone back. I mean, and at the end of the day, let's I mean let's let's think about it. The Guardians of the Galaxy was an out of left field movie. Yeah. That was Marvel sort of going, you know, we take are, a punt we, on this. We are we are yeah. confident enough in what we have done that we're going to take the punt on this 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 crew of heroes that yeah. no one has ever heard of. You know what I mean? They were, they wanted with an up. indie horror director, yeah, James yeah, Gunn. Absolutely. Yeah. They, I mean, Marvel. If they don't, if they had a want to do a cosmic movie, they could have done. They could have done Silver Surfer because yeah. Silver Surfer had already been in a movie, uh, regardless of how bad that movie was. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they decided in Guardians of the Galaxy. They were confident in what they were doing. They thought we can with a, with a good story, a good director, a good characters, good actors. We can do this. You know what I mean? So, but. For the for the comic book, which then reflected the movie, you then had a had a solid cast for a while, and, and yeah. But Guardians of the Galaxy has always been, a, as you say, a wee bit of a left field thing, um, with different different characters, and the characters you're seeing on the the prime cover there, uh, yeah. you're seeing uh, the two only. Most people will recognise straight away Groot and Star Lord. Yeah, absolutely. So. It's got a bunch of characters on there, uh, as you say. You've got Star Lord, you've got Groot, you've got Dark Hawk, uh, mm-hmm. who was a fantastic eighties nineties uh, character. Uh, Chris Powell, uh, who was the son of a cop, uh, mm-hmm. a dirty cop, I believe. Yeah. Is there uh, any other kind in literature well, <laughs> <laughs> or movies? Um, who followed Jim his Gordon. dad to a, followed his dad to a stakeout, and he found this amulet that allowed having him an to, affair in Batman year one. Allowed him his mind to inhabit the body of this uh, alien android. Mm-hmm. Um, that was Darkhawk. Behind him, we've got Beta Ray Bill. Beta Ray Bill there was a real interesting character. Um, Beta Ray Bill is uh, oh, what was the name of the race? Begins with K. Carbonite. Uh, was it was this? Uh, and the, the Thor detected. She detected this mm-hmm. ship that was coming towards Earth, and uh, they activated Thor. They said, so "Thor, this could be invasion." And, Thor went and... Uh, Is it Robot Thor or... No, no, it was Thor Thor. This Thor, was Thor. back in the 70s. Oh, okay. Um, Thor Thor. Thor Thor. Thor Thor. Thor Thor. And uh, the, the ship was, was called Skullbutt and he was, the, the, the race had been decimated. Beta Ray Bill was their greatest champion. Whenever he detected a threat, the, the ship unfroze him and, uh, and let him out to battle Thor. And in the battle, Thor lost Mjolnir. At that time, Thor was attached to Don Blake. Mm-hmm. So whenever... Thor let go of the hammer for 60 seconds. Um, he turned back into Don Blake. So, Is that the character they used as then as a doctor? 
Yeah. Well, don't, yeah. There was a reference don't, in don't, the first don't blame one. It yeah. was the original human side of Thor. Yeah. Um, so whenever, you know, the, 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 the hammer turned back into Don Blake's walking stick mm-hmm. and Don Blake, you know, so, uh, so Peter Ray Bill got the walking stick and in frustration slammed it against the ground. And of course, we all know that Thor, Mjolnir, only those who are worthy can we not be yeah. Turned out Peter Ray Bill was worthy. And so... Um, in the end, Odin demanded that Thor and Peter Ray Bill battle to, you know, battle in order to, to find out who would be who was most worthy. Yeah. Um, and they actually knocked each other into unconsciousness. Uh, but because of Peter Ray Bill's carbonate um, ability to uh, resist heat, he recovered first. So he was more worthy. He was more worthy, but he stopped. He Thor was. Uh, falling into like a lava pit or something and he grabbed Thor and saved him mm-hmm. and so Odin decided that you know they were both worthy so Odin created a hammer called Stormbreaker yeah. you yes. know Stormbreaker yeah it was uh, and so Peter A. Bill star of the him. recent uh, Avengers Infinity War yeah uh-huh. uh, Peter A. Bill had his own uh, Uri hammer and he became like another version of Thor so that's Peter A. Bill Silver Surfer Moon Dragon who's uh a really arrogant uh, telepath raised on Saturn, I think. Looks like a guardian. Um, of the galaxy. Yeah, she looks like a watcher. Of yeah, the no, galaxy. She's, she's a she's a, a human who was raised on, on Saturn or somewhere okay. in our galaxy in our uh, solar system. But she these telepathic powers. Uh, there's Nova. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's going to be the original Rich Rider Nova, not mm-hmm. the, not the yeah. Nova Junior we've been seeing. That's Adam Warlock. Mm-hmm. Um, who we also saw at the end of the second Guardians movie, very very briefly. Very briefly, uh, one of the nine million after credits, which is uh, Star Wars dad in some of the stories. Pretty sure. Okay, That's Gladiator, the <laughs> Shi'ar, uh, the the Lord of the Shi'ar, the Shi'ar um, part of the Shi'ar Royal Guard, Imperial Guard, uh, and that's uh, Phyla Marvel, who is. Uh, a version of Captain Marvel. So, but what what Marvel have said is that of these heroes, there's there's a bunch of them. Six of them will be a member of the team. So I don't know. Oh, so they're going to whittle it down yeah, from what's on the, the from... team. There are six six of those will be members. I'll of the hazard team. a guess that Cosmic Ghost Rider will be part of the six. Cosmic Ghost Rider, given Donny Cates' involvement. Cosmic, Cosmic Ghost Rider is an interesting one because Cosmic. This is the first time we've seen Cosmic Ghost Rider with relevance to any of the heroes in the mm. Marvel Universe because it's always been a wee bit divergent. Yeah, definitely. You know, Time so, travel. So, uh, yeah, futuristic stuff. and uh, Thanos Punisher. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It doesn't make any sort of sense. It's not our Frank Castle. So, so I'll be interested to see who that's. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Silver Surfer, I think, is about to appear in uh, The Defenders uh, and a few yeah, other things. Yeah. So, yeah. I personally, I would like to see Dark Rock and uh, Peter Ray Bell in there. Um, but sure, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. No, Star Lord's definitely going to be in there. Yeah, for sure. No, I definitely want to look forward to that. I would say Donny Cates again. He just seems to be writing everything Marvel, everything that's quality in Marvel these days, along with Jason Aaron, um, um, Chip Zdarsky, Chip Zdarsky, Dan Slaw, Nick Spencer, of course, doing good stuff on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, Spider-Man. I, I have to say, I think Marvel is coming around. It is, and it's great to see because yeah, both will feed each other because they'll both have to up their games. DC and Marvel when they are uh, both at such a high level. And I think this will be a great jumping on point for loads of people because, as I say, it's one of the um, regular questions in the store is where can I jump on the Guardians of the Galaxy for? So I think that's going to be a brilliant one to do. Yeah. Um, it might not be the Guardians that 
Everyone knows. Yeah, but Donny Cates is really good for entry level stuff. I mean, Cosmic Ghost Rider is probably our Venom. second biggest pull, and that's our biggest pull for Marvel. Really? So, yeah. And that's, you know, even with the shitty movie that's out. And then there's uh, Independence, uh, God Country, and uh, Redneck. Uh, yeah, God Country, Redneck as well. God Just Country's been picked up for a series or a movie, hasn't Movie, it? which he's going to be writing as well. He's going to write. He's writing the screenplay, but he's already come out in an interview and said, I get into comics to write comics, not movies. So it's not like his plan is, oh, I'm now a movie writer. Screw comics. Right, right. Okay, so we're back again to uh, complete the previews podcast. So I'm going to start off with an indie title this time. Uh, Kieran's going to take it away in this one. This is going to be a title from Dark Horse. So this comes from Dark Horse. It's Aliens Resistance. Um, It follows up from the game from a few years ago, uh, Alien Isolation, um, which took place after Alien, but before Aliens. Um, It follows... Um, Amanda Amanda Ripley which is Ellen Ripley's daughter yeah because Aliens has a bit of a strange movie continuity and that you have to watch the director's cut to find out that her daughter's dead yeah um, basically but she if gets you, a Ripley has daughter a daughter yeah. yeah so Ripley's in, so Ripley had a daughter in Alien at, no in Alien and then because she was in cryo sleep for 60 to 70 ah, years. her daughter got old got and old she and didn't get old. Yeah, yeah. But okay, it was go, only go, in go, James go. Cameron's director's cut that they mentioned this. Whereas in the original theatrical cut, they just bypassed it completely. Yeah. Um, basically, this follows the events of the game Alien Isolation, um, which follows Amanda trying to find Ellen. Um, but basically, the, the premise of this is Amanda has teamed up with an ex-colonial marine called Zula Hendricks, um, basically trying to escape the Wedding Vitani Corporation who's trying to cover up um, the whole xenomorph threat and what's going on with They with wouldn't the do that, would they? No, not at all. <clears throat> it's scary corporations, definitely not. Zula Hendricks? Yeah. I thought that was something to do with Hicks when I first read it. Oh, no, no, no. <coughs> that one that is, is Bishop was played by an actor called Lance Hendricks. Hendrickson. Uh, okay. Uh, Hendrickson. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I feel like an idiot now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not speaking because, to my knowledge, I've never seen an alien film. What? The door is over there. Oh, do um, yourself. Do you? In a corner. Go home tonight. Do yourself a solid. And, I just and go home right now. Uh, just, <laughs> is that doing me a solid or do, or do you guys me. a solid? Uh, <laughs> go home and watch Alien and Aliens. Alien and Aliens are genuinely two of the best movies ever made in the sci-fi horror genre two very different movies yeah very, very different movies. Very, very different. but but they don't but they feel part of the same universe that's what's yeah. so clever about them yeah. the first movie is very slow burning sci-fi horror the second movie the first half is like that but then the second half is just all out action um, but yeah it's like that so, um, this goes on until January 23rd so it's not it's not January I think every other one um, it's written by Brian Wood and art by Robert Carey um, so this is just a miniseries, <coughs> three ninety nine title. Um, it'll most likely go across maybe four to six issues. Yeah, I would imagine four. A lot of alien stuff tends to be four. Yeah, like, Aliens uh, tends to be like dust to dust. Dust to dust. Um, alien tends to be one of the biggest sellers in our store. Um, they they never seem to have quite got. They've never reached the zenith of those first two movies in the movies. They've tried with the Alien Covenant. They've tried with Alien versus Predator. They tried with the Resurrection, etc. Never reached that high level of quality, but see the comic series, they have continued on the movie continuity brilliantly at times. Yeah. And obviously, it's a cheaper medium to do so, it's cheaper to you know draw a page of art than it is to film it with you know 
all the moving parts there. But the Aliens comics are always requested in the shop. You know, do you have any back issues? Do you have any graphic novels? This looks like a really, really interesting series coming up, yeah. uh, especially because Isolation was quite a big hit. Um, because Isolation, it was the one where it was basically one alien, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a survival horror. Um, just based around one alien, and you sort of came across like androids and things, which were... Um, I don't know if they were hacked, or it was like a security protocol, but they also sort of had a bit of a fight with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was a very good game. Um, it still holds up. It's one of those things where sometimes you go back and play launch titles from the start of the PlayStation 4, and you're like, this isn't as good as I remember, but this one definitely holds up. Um, and they keep talking about a sequel but I don't know if it's going to happen or this mm-hmm. is the sequel yeah um, but yeah this, one, <coughs> this one's going to look great there's a nice variant cover there of a Xenomorph sitting on a Wayland Yutani cover um, but yeah this is going to be a good title um, it's, so the, the writer Brian Wood he's worked on a few Alien titles so he must know what he's doing yeah Brian Wood's uh, pretty much an indie king he did uh, DMZ Demilitarized Zone he did a Pretty great series, very underappreciated, called The Massive, which I really, really enjoyed as well. Uh, so yeah, solid rider, Alien franchise, I don't think you can really go too wrong there. We also have Alien 3 released in that month as well. Yeah, that's going to be issue Alien 3 of that one. Issue 3. Yeah, we've talked a little bit before about that, the unproduced William Gibson screenplay. Uh, look forward to that as well. Uh, yeah, so that's Aliens Resistance, that'll be a brand new number one, launching on the 23rd of January. Uh, so we'll move away from the indie and back to DC. And in this case, it's going to be Stephen leading you in with this one. <coughs> That's me. I had to think for a second there. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this next pick is The Flash Annual number two. It, uh, Heroes in Crisis, despite being announced as uh, a seven, then eight, then nine issue series. Oh, DC. Uh, <laughs> Let's just hope it comes out on time. <coughs> uh, it's not even, it's been uh, delayed already with issue two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, even though uh, that uh, was announced as a, we're just going to say nine issue series now, uh, they never actually announced any tie-ins yeah. at launch. It's only, we're slowly but steadily getting Ooh. all these tie-ins. <coughs> this is the second time that I've noticed. Yeah, yeah they, Green Arrow had one. At least, and Green Arrow. at least they've announced it with this one. With Green Arrow, they didn't really announce yeah. it too much. Some say slowly and steadly. Some say making it up as we go along. <laughs> uh, yeah. Although that was a great issue, that Green Arrow one. It could cover. It actually happened again with uh, No Justice, that four-issue miniseries, and then Green Arrow just randomly... Had a, a time and even with Drowned Earth with uh, Titans. Titans, yeah. Was um, there was a there was a, a Titans tie-in. There was an Aquaman tie-in, and there was a Justice League tie-in. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so many, but uh, yeah, it's Flash Annual number two, tying into Heroes in Crisis. But uh, this is this is a tie-in. I say this is an essential tie-in because it focuses on the Flash, and uh, we can talk spoilers about Heroes in Crisis one because it's been out for like oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, obviously, one of the heroes. Uh, is murdered mm-hmm. at Sanctuary is Wally West another Flash very close to Barry Allen he's like his family basically um, Flash now starts with uh, Barry Allen describing himself as my name is Barry Allen I used to be the fastest man in the world yeah uh, Wally West was the fastest man in the world he exactly. was the Flash for a long time yeah, yeah. so uh, you know it's discussing Barry's grief and guilt following Wally West's death at Sanctuary uh, refuses to divulge the heartbreaking news to the rest of the Flash family until he searched every corner of the globe for his former partner, including inside the Speed Force itself. This is where it gets good. Barry just doesn't give up, ever. No, never. Even whenever it's <coughs> Yeah, that's 
uh, what was it? There was a was it Flash War quite recently? He's just like running and running and running, and they're like, okay, we need to stop Barry. They put yeah, all these obstacles in front of him, yeah, and yeah. They, they just can't stop. And, 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 and even Wally, that was Wally. It was it was, Wally, it was yeah. Barry was chasing Wally. Barry, yeah. Barry exactly. And uh, yeah. even Superman couldn't keep up with him. Yeah, but the, but it was the same whenever, um, I guess before Rebirth, Wally sort of had an inkling that, or sorry. Barry had an England yeah. that Wally was still alive and just wasn't willing to give up that. Yeah. You know, he's a, to me, Barry's the ultimate idealist. Yeah. You know what I mean? He just, he, he never, yeah. he's never willing to recognize reality. Yeah. <laughs> you know? This no, I, no, I, 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 my feeling is in the reality. Yeah. Uh, they're not, they're not going to, they're not going to kill Wally. But this is funny, off, off of the, obviously the rebirth and Heroes in Crisis. Like, rebirth was a big thing where Wally was coming back. Heroes in Crisis killed <coughs> Wally. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, and it's it's starting to make it seem that it is cement that the Flash is going to have a tie-in that's talking about the death of Wally West. Yeah, mm-hmm. Wally West is not dead. He's for not for dead. a long time, <laughs> he's going to be dead for a while. Uh, <laughs> they'll keep Arsenal dead longer than they keep Wally yeah. West dead. He'll be dead for a couple of issues at least. But uh, what where it gets interesting for me is uh, they're using this annual as uh, it, it's not a spoiler because it's on the cover. Godspeed. Oh yeah, yeah. From yeah. back at the start of Flash Rebirth, he's, he's been back. in and out. He's three. been in and out. Yeah, Former cop so. uh, used to be Barry Allen's buddy and yeah, partners, partner at the crime yeah. scene. And during that that first story arc, <clears throat> when a whole lot of folk got infected there was with the Speed, speed Force, storm, yeah, yeah uh-huh. that kind of infected a lot of people, and he was one of the, the people infected. He's been uh, so, he's he's flopped uh, back and forth as either a nemesis yeah. or an ally. Yeah. So, well, they're they're, they're going to blows with each other. So uh, you know. Could be a nemesis, but at the same time, you know, it could be a friendly, you know, Barry, he's dead, and Barry, you know, doesn't want to accept that, so, you know, you don't know if he's comforting him there, if it's an actual fight, or what's going on, but uh, there is uh, another appearance, which is on the cover, so is it really spoilers? No, it was a while ago, it was announced. Was it in the end of Flash Wars? Was it announced? Yeah, it was the last page of Flash Wars. yeah. Stop yeah. teasing, teasing the folks. Bart, Bart <laughs> Allen's back. Bart <laughs> Allen. Uh, who Kieran's going to explain who that is? He's basically Wally or Barry's future son. Oh. Comes back in time. Uh, 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 that's not important. Pulse. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Very original. Just calling him Bart. Just drop that Y. Put a wee T in. Yeah. There you go. You got a new character. The same name. Bartholomew. Uh, or Barry. Who's the statue? That's, that's Wally. Is that Wally? Yeah. Is that a statue of Wally? They're her, and then you've got the uh, light in the boat ears. It's yeah. difficult to tell because he's not Jeter. Describing pictures is not good radio. Yeah. There's a picture of Wally. There's a, there's a statue of Wally on yeah. the cover. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, cover that uh, Stephen has been teasing around is basically at the very front of it looks like. Uh, Godspeed and Barry Allen are coming to blows. Behind them, you have a large statue looming over them. Obviously, the specter of Wally West. Uh, and then on top of Wally West, that's where you have uh, Bart Allen as well. And, of course, it being the flash, there has to be lightning in the background Lots as well. Probably should have pointed out it is written by Joshua Williamson, who is writing the Flash. Yeah, I mean, great continuity yeah, there. Yeah. Joshua Williamson's been writing the Flash since Rebirth started. Yeah. Scott Collins is also writing the Flash. Or is Art also Art of the Flash. Yeah. Is that someone I'm overly familiar with? Is um, I um, I was reading the latest issue of the Flash this morning, and uh, I'm not. The art's not. As art, I like clean art, mm-hmm. and his art's not <clears> massively clean. It's a wee bit. There was a fantastic um, issue of The Flash, and I can't remember what issue it was. Uh, it was whenever they were in the Flash Museum in the future. That was yeah. the, the annual? It was not. The first annual? No, it wasn't the annual. 
because they've jumped back and forth from the future. Oh, him and Iris and there was Run and Skirt. There I think was it was one called. particular skirt. No, Run and Skirt. Run and skirt. I, I think it was within the skirt first five. four volumes. It's back when I was reading the trade, and the artwork was phenomenal. Like uh, if that artist yeah. done every issue, it would be. I don't think that's Scott Collins. Incredible. Um, what uh, what are your thoughts on annuals generally? It, it can go both ways for me because for every Batman annual number two and every Amazing Spider-Man annual number one, there's a totally disposable story that just you yeah. throw away. Yeah. A lot of it, I think, comes down to the creative team. Um, annuals, I try to recommend the people as... They're semi-jumping on points because they're always self-contained. They're always There's a story in there with a beginning, a middle, and an end. If you like this character... Here's their title. Yeah. Uh, but that's only if they're done well. Um, so annuals, I mean, in the store, we don't push annuals on people. If, if a title's on your pull list, you're not. I'll always order enough in to cover that. Yeah. But if you don't want the annual, I'll not like hold it against you because yeah. it's not really part of the main storyline uh-huh. canon. I feel like this is a, a very good use of an annual because <clears throat> obviously... It's, it's a time the heroes in crisis so it's not going to take place in the actual you could do without it if you wanted to yeah. you could do without it but uh, you know because it's a tie in of the flash it's maybe something that Joshua Williamson doesn't want to do within the, the main flash title yes ultimately yeah, yeah, he yeah. has his own story to tell of the flash mm-hmm. so this will impact um, his flash run mm-hmm. but uh, I feel like they're just they're using it in the annual because they want to tell a story but they don't want to uh, impact the main continuity. Yeah. I, I think I think that's probably the best way to use an annual. Um, yeah. that's, that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. yeah. I mean over over years and years and years I've watched uh sort of different comic companies use comic use annuals in different ways, uh, as attached to main to main stories and to, mm-hmm. to main titles. Uh, it annoys me whenever an annual is just totally unrelated, mm-hmm. uh has a different writer, has a different yeah. artist. You know, it's just almost excuse. seems like a fill in yeah, to give the main a, creative team a bit of time. No, it's not because it comes out usually the same, you know, it comes out the same week or the same, yeah. you know, same yeah. month as a, as a regular title. And it's all to me, sometimes it just feels like a way to get, and, and usually they're double size and a bigger price. Yeah, yeah. it's a way to get extra money. The out whole of it. time you were saying that, I literally thought of a perfect example of the Captain America annual, but then I remember how good of a story it was. <laughs> Remind me. Uh, it was the uh, Cap and Bucky uh, behind enemy lines. You've got the oh two yeah, 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 the the, 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 the two the, the Jewish. The, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was fantastic. It's, uh, it's two Jewish women and a gay man have escaped yeah. from a concentration camp, and they run into Bucky and Cap. Yeah, that's right. That was great. It was, it was, it was really, fantastic. Yeah. Um, so if it's, I mean, but yeah, there's times it's just it just seems like a dumping ground. You know yeah. what I mean? And. She's back at the end of the nineties. Marvel Marvel tried to do a thing with annuals where annuals were nearly team ups. They were, you know, yeah. their annuals were weren't. You didn't have an X Men annual. You had like uh, Mister Machine or Machine Man plus yeah. X Men annual or a Doctor Doom plus yeah. Captain America annual. Yeah. They, were, they were they teamed up on likely characters and different things. But I think that's the best way to use an annual to tie it to the main story. Have the writer and artist of the main story. Yeah, have that continuity. Write it. Have that continuity. <clears throat> yeah. You know, but it's a tie-in, and a yeah. tie-in is different. You know, because you can do without it. It's yeah. not part. You know, yeah. so yeah, I like that. I like I like yeah. being given the option and have yeah. been. I think what I like is being given the 
you know, the credit for having the intelligence to decide if you want it or not without ruining the whole thing. I just I did have a wee look here because obviously the Flash main series is on the opposite page in the previous book and you were saying it come you know, annual tend to come out the same day as the, the Oh well certainly same the same well, month. This does. Yeah, well, there yeah. you are. You actually get four Flash comics in in January. This is out on the thirtieth as well as issue sixty three. That's not so, what I want in a month. <laughs> four Flash titles. No, no, no. no Most I want one title and, and an four Batman titles. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's it. I mean, annuals are an interesting thing because what you're saying about creative teams is is interesting there because Batman Annual Two is always the one I go back to as a great example. But it is Tom King. But then that recent amazing Spider Man Annual was a completely different creative team and it was bloody fantastic. Yeah, it was great, yeah. yeah. So, but maybe it's hard to maybe, judge it maybe let off the popularity of Venom mm. because it was a it was a symbiote costume. But it wasn't like it was the Venom team, right? No, that it wasn't. Either. That's it wasn't, the other but, thing. Yeah, but 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 when there's a wee bit of wit behind it, when there's a wee bit of intelligence, whenever someone in the marketing department has gone, actually, you know what. Donny Cates Venom is doing good. Maybe we should Here comes back the Venom to, movie. Yeah, maybe yeah, we should yeah. hark back to but let's not you know what I mean? So and it appealed to someone like me who's who read the original Venom saga, you know, the original mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just it's it's hard to tell with with annuals, it really is because uh, I think I I haven't read many annuals, but I think the majority of them I've read I've enjoyed because it is just a contained story. It's it's slightly bigger than a single issue. Mm-hmm. You're getting something that's not in the main storyline, so you're not sort of you're harking back to things that have already happened. Mm. But it's it's sort of touching on the things that are coming, and it gives you a wee bit of a taste. I just but I if you're not that. wanting to get into a big series, yeah, it's a good way to jump on. I just hate that feeling of. Ah, balls, I bought this because it was an annual and now yeah. I think cheated. Yeah. You know I mean? But anyway, swings and rounds about. No, absolutely. The the quality can just fare all over the place. But uh, hopefully with this one, obviously ties to Heroes in Crisis, original writer writing it, Joshua Williamson. You know, hopes are high that'll be a good one. Uh, so yeah, we'll step away from DC then and back over to the Marvel side of things. Um, the next one is a relaunch of a long-standing Marvel title. And it's also, we were saying earlier about how Jason Aaron's one of Marvel's best writers, Donny Cates, of course. I think this guy's another great example, <laughs> uh, I have to say. In terms of something that you read that you has a sense of humor to it, a sense of lightness of touch, um, but is very respectful of what came before it, I think this guy's one of the best with Marvel. Uh, so the next title, of course, is? The Invaders. Invaders number one. Um <coughs> So, the writer, of course, being? The writer is uh, Chip Zdarsky. Um, so, Chip Zdarsky currently writing... Uh, Marvel 2 and 1, and he just <coughs> finished his Spectacular Spider-Man. Spectacular Spider-Man. Spider-Man, yeah, absolutely. We were yeah. all convinced he was going to be a fantastic four-rider. And... Yeah. Convinced. And I think that would have been a good shout, mm-hmm. uh, based on Marvel 2 and 1, because Marvel 2 and 1 was effectively the prequel to Fantastic Four. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but... It's hard to argue with Dan Slott. Oh, yeah. And what he's done. So, if you don't know Invaders, Invaders are effectively Marvel's oldest team. They they predated the Avengers. Um, The, uh, like, prototype team for the Invaders with the All-Winners squad, which was created by uh, Martin Goodman and writer Bill Finger. Martin Goodman. Bill Finger, of course, the uh, co-creator. Of Batman. Absolutely. Martin Goodman was the guy who created Atlas Comics, mm. which was okay. the progenitor for Marvel Comics. Uh, so this is uh, this is one of the oldest 
teams around, and that's sort of, I guess, kind of why I like them. Um, is it any coincidence that this is maybe coming out when we're talking about Marvel's 80 year 80th celebration? Anniversary? I don't think it's a coincidence at all, and I think it's leading off uh, something we talked about last last month, which was the Defenders series mm-hmm. that yeah. or the Defenders miniseries that's coming out. Chip Zdarsky, um, he's actually writing one of the Defenders issues. He's right. writing the Namor issue, oh, okay. who is obviously yeah, front exactly. and center of all the invaders. So, but front and center in a different way than he's been yeah. in any of the Avengers history. So, uh, the the All Winners Squad were an actual golden age, a golden age team. Uh, the All Winners Squad were published back in the forties, um, and they. They sort of look back on Captain America and Bucky and uh, the original android Human Torch mm-hmm. and his uh, compatriot Toro mm-hmm. and the Submariner and uh, the Iron Cross uh, and a few others. Uh, there, there was a bit of a rotating cast. Uh, various Union Jacks and uh, various versions of Vision and Wizard. Uh and it looked back in the forties. It looked back on them during World War Two. You know what I mean. So they were the original. They were the the original superhero team during World War Two. Um, so it was it was, uh, you know, at the end of the forties that that flashback to World War Two, um, and they they've had various incarnations over the years. Um, they were you know they were formed as a you know to. They were you know Captain America's history was that he was a. The super soldier, and he fought in World War Two alongside Bucky, uh, and we were we're all very well aware of that. But Captain America also had a team, mm-hmm. and that team was the Invaders. So they were the pregenitor to the, you know, Cap went on ice after that, yeah. and then were they the precursors then to the Howling Commandos? Just when so, you say team, I think well, I they were well, the, the Howling Commandos were weren't uh, superhero mean, team. The yeah. Howling Commandos yeah. were Nick Fury's. Um, yeah. Commandos, so they were yeah. they were his. So they, this was a super team. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. You know they were super powered. So um, famously, uh, I guess one of the, the first Marvel comics was uh, featured the original Android Human Torch, Jim Hammond, mm-hmm. fighting the Submariner. Uh, you know, and eventually, you know they they became part of that part of that team. But anyway, um, things have changed a wee bit since then. Obviously, Cap's been on ice and has. You know, since the forties, and is now the you know the super soldier leader of the Avengers. Um, Jim Hammond, the original Human Torch, has gone through uh, quite a lot of changes. Of it, he was the original Human Torch before Johnny Storm was the Human Torch. Yeah, and he was an android that was built by Phineas Horton. Uh, he's got a really storied history that uh, collides with the Vision's history. Yeah, the Vision was uh, the same body. The Vision was yeah. the same body uh, as the as the the Human Torch. Um, the and and I mean the Human Torches the the Android Human Torch has been reborn in our modern day. There's been a number of series about him which have, have been pretty fantastic stuff. We know uh, that uh, Bucky has been reborn as the Winter Soldier. Uh, Toro has also been reborn in a, a twelve issue miniseries some some years ago. Uh, but it also ties in with recent history. Uh, recent as recent as last week. The week before last. Uh, That's with, recent history. Yeah, it is. <laughs> with uh, Jason Aaron's uh, Avengers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, I think, 
This is why I sort of think that Jason Aaron is kind of centered a lot of what's going on at, mm. at Marvel at the minute. Like, really more centered than you might think. He's not yeah. just writing a lot of titles. I think he's behind a lot of the planning because mm. Avengers uh, and his, his 10,000 BC is tying in with, you know, his 10,000 BC Avengers is tying in with, uh, with Doctor Strange and is tying in with his own Thor book and is tying in with Donny Cates' Venom book. Yeah. Um, you know, back as far back as whenever Jason Aaron introduced uh, the God Butcher uh, back in God of Thunder, he introduced this weapon called the Necro Sword, mm-hmm. and the Necro Sword ties in the Donny Cates has pulled it into Venom, which is fantastic, <laughs> yeah. and the, this this uh, symbiote God, and uh, it's it's coming back into back into Avengers again and back into Thor. It's fantastic stuff, yeah. but. Uh, the last issue of Avengers was uh, fantastic because it placed... So Mariner, Namor, has always been... I guess if you don't know what you're talking about, you'll just go... Submariner is, is Marvel's version of Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you don't know what you're talking about, you say the Submariner. Yes. <laughs> 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 Marvel's Aquaman. Yeah. Would, but, uh, but that's not the case. Uh, Submariner... Uh, started off as like a villain which is why you see him fighting the Human Torch in the 40s mm-hmm. and he's always flip-flop between hero and villain and it's yeah. he's he's it's how you view him uh, you have to you have to see what he's going through he's the I mean he's very much like Aquaman you mm-hmm. know he's very much out you know the analogue he's a half breed you know what I mean he's half Atlantean yeah. he's half human uh, but he's just an arrogant he's an arrogant prick like Totally, you know, he's the he's the king of Atlantis, but not in the same way as Arthur. Arthur Curry is, you know, he tries to understand both worlds. Yeah, Neymar does not give a crap. <clears throat> you know, I mean, it's all about it's all about Atlantis. It's all about Neymar. It's all about you know, imperious Rex. You know, and in the last issue of Avengers. You know, there was this great scene where Captain Marvel goes to grab him, and uh, he's like. Any woman under the sea would give a chance to touch my bare skin. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, You're not worthy. And he's just, he's a total dickhead, like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, he, he ends the life in the, in the last uh, issue of um, Avengers of a long running sort of C list, B list uh, hero, mm-hmm. a Marvel hero called Stingray. And he's clearly building uh, an undersea. Avengers, yeah. you know that are that are loyal to his mm-hmm. agenda. Um, the Avengers oppose him. Uh, there's some cool stuff where Iron Man goes and forgotten how fast and how strong he is under the yeah. sea. Uh, he's you know so. Where originally Namor was a member of the Invaders, I think in this certainly from, I think Namor is the villain. Yeah, they're really uh, uh, yeah. Marvel's marketing, it's they're really pitting. Namor versus Cap seems to be the well. That's the thing because and at the end of that Avengers ep, that Avengers issue, yeah. it took Cap to go yes absolutely to uh, you know Namor was was laying everybody low yeah, and it took Cap to go forward and go hold on. You and I have been friends yeah. for the past you know mm-hmm. eighty years. Mm-hmm. Let's have a chat, and Namor was like, "All right, since it's you, everybody get out." You yeah. know what I mean. But don't come back. Yeah. You know, that sort of way, or you'll face my wrath, Imperious yeah. Rex. Imperious Rex. You know. Um I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, Invaders always Invaders always excites me, that sort of the World War Two era hero yeah. stuff. 
Um, so I'm. This is and it does have the Marvel eighty years tag there. Mm-hmm. So I am really looking forward to is, this. Is this book itself? It doesn't look like it's World War Two, but is it? It doesn't, um, it doesn't look like Bucky there. Yeah. It doesn't look it, well, but... Winter Soldier. Well, it says Captain America. Well, at the same time, you've got, like, you know, again, yeah, this being an audio medium. Exactly. I think usually with the Invaders, with Invaders books, you find... The jumps. Yeah, you'll yeah. find it jumps a wee okay. bit. You'll have a wee bit of flashback. You'll probably have flashback to whenever they were friends and so yeah. forth and yeah. so on. Bucky on the cover looks like yeah. Winter Soldier. So, but then you've saying, got, like, the Spitfires and stuff. Yeah. Makes it look sort so of World War II. Captain America, the Human Torch, and that's, again, that's Jim Hammond, the Human Torch. I would presume not Johnny Storm, the Winter Soldier, Namor. They fought in World War Two together as the invaders, but now Namor is the enemy, a global threat more powerful than ever. His deadly plans are as deep and far-reaching as the ocean, and revelations about his past could threaten the Marvel Universe. It's up to his old teammates to stop him. What chance do they have against the man who knows their every move? War Ghost begins. So, Yeah, really looking forward to that. And aside from uh, Chip Zdarsky, uh, we're also looking at uh, Carlos Magno, who... Uh, was uh, as an artist uh, in Countdown, Marvel War Kings, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Phantom. And Phantom is, you know, Phantom the Ghost Who Walks. That's another yeah. sort of real pulp era, you know, uh, piece. And then uh, Butch Geis, uh, who joined Brubaker uh, as in, in, in creating the Winter Soldier, um, was part of that, that whole... Um, you know, uh, reignition of Captain America, yeah. some of the best. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, really looking forward to this. Um, it, it, uh, forty pages. Uh, I'm not sure if it's an ongoing or a limited series. Um, but uh, you've got an Alex Ross cover. I think Alex Ross really likes Invaders. He really yeah. likes the Invaders. Did Alex Ross do covers on Invaders now? He did, yeah, yeah. He did. Well remembered, yeah. He uh, that's what, every time there's a, a like an Invader series, it's Alex Ross, Ross always ends yeah. up doing covers. So uh, I want the uh, Alex Ross variant cover, Alan. Please, thanks very much. <laughs> I would like that put on my list, please. Just cover A, always. Cool. Excellent. Well, that's Invaders number one. Um, another January release. Yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. I have to say. Uh, anything with Cap and Winter Soldier in it, I can always well, get on board with as well. It's got a young variant cover for I Kyle. think that's probably true of every single Marvel series. Yeah. I think that's how Scotty Young makes his living. Yeah, Although I say that, Bully Wars is absolutely actually, fantastic. Yeah, look at that. Look at that run. I mean, I'm not a big fan of variant covers, as you know. Um, but Alex look Ross, at that run. Alex Ross, Joe Casada, Joe Casada, Scotty Young, Frank Robbins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some rather good stuff in there, I have to say. Cool. Excellent. So that is uh, Invaders number one. Uh, We'll move away from that and on to an indie series, Uh, myself introducing this one. The reason I picked this one is I think it's really interesting. We've we've sort of been chatting. Don't talk about it. What's the first show of Fight Club? Oh, he just gave away the title. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I find it interesting that the comic medium is used for things like this because... You look at a lot of TV shows, they have their life extended by the comic book medium. A good example, out in December, Firefly, continuing on the comics. Buffy continues on in the comics. Good example, maybe out, maybe not out. John Wick? John Wick, <laughs> side story. Well, it's almost yeah. like a, it's a prequel series. Mm. Um, even things like uh, The X-Files continues in the comics. Smallville did, didn't it? Smallville oh, yeah. was another one, absolutely. Um, the reason I find this one really interesting is because... Fight Club is one of my personal 
favourite movies of all time. Absolutely adore Fight Club. Uh, fantastic movie. It was slightly... It wasn't really a hit when it came out. It became much more of a cult movie. But it certainly made enough money and had enough hype around it that it would have certainly justified a movie sequel. Uh, but people came to Chuck Palahniuk, the writer of the original book, and I think he might have co-wrote the script for the movie. And they said to him, have you an idea for Fight Club 2? And he said, yes, but I want it to be a comic book. And he very specifically chose the comic medium for it. And uh, he had Cameron Stewart on board as an artist. And Fight Club 2, I believe it was a nine-issue miniseries that continued on with the unnamed narrator. But he was actually married to Marla, who was the character in Fight Club 1, played by Helen Bottom Carter. And they actually got married, had a kid, and it was all about trying to adjust to boring family life when they always felt that buzz of the underground <laughs> fighting and you know all this kind of stuff. It was a really, really interesting sequel to the original. And again, it had that authenticity uh, because it was the same writer. Well, he's back again, and uh, the one I've got here is Fight Club 3, number one. Now, the only thing I will say is, and I only just thought of this on the spot, this will bug the hell out of OCD comic collectors because on their bookshelf they will have Fight Club 2 and Fight Club 3, <laughs> but not Fight Club 1. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got, it, like you're going to have to put it in your DVD shelf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised, as I think Kieran was about to say there, I'm surprised it just hasn't had an adaptation yeah. just for the medium. But uh, just to read the dad tribe of this one I foresee, you've got Marla Singer is about to deliver her second child, but the daddy isn't her husband, it's Tyler Durden, who of course was an imaginary character in the original, um, or alter ego almost, in the original Fight Club, who's very interested in his heir and the world he'll inherit. Marla, her first son and her husband, the unnamed narrator in the novel, live in a rundown motel with sketchy neighbours. In Fight Club 2, Tyler transformed Project Mayhem into Rise or Die. Now, as a road to paradise presents itself, a new group has implemented a ruthless and deviant plan to fine-tune mankind, leading uh, the unnamed narrator to forge an unlikely alliance with Tyler Durden. Uh, I, I just love this world, and Fight Club 2 was a, a big surprise to me. It, it worked really, really well. I thought it was pretty much as good as the movie was, and I'm certainly interested to uh, read more in this world. Uh, again, Cameron Stewart, perfect artist for this. David Max doing some good variant covers as well. Um, and that Duncan Figueredo one's actually lovely. Again, going back to this being an audio medium. <laughs> but uh, that cover is pretty fantastic as well. Um, any love for Fight Club in the group? It's been a long time since I watched it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I was, I guess, of the generation that uh, got excited about the original movie. Mm-hmm. Um I always considered it a sort of a done in one, um, and uh, I mean the cast was the cast was absolutely fantastic. The uh, it was just it was one of those it was like train spotting, you know, in that and yeah in that yeah. era, you know. I didn't I didn't read Fight Club two maybe I should. I highly recommend. It. Um, highly so, recommend. Yeah, it. absolutely. I uh, I'm always a wee bit wary of uh, movie tie-ins or movie. You know, movie sequels, or mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know why that is. I don't know why that some. You know, I guess it's the worry that it's just a cash in. Yeah. Um, well, that's why I always find this interesting because before Fight Club was a movie, it was a book, mm-hmm. and Chuck Palahniuk wrote the book. Yep. And he could have just written another novel for a sequel. He could have written a novel for another sequel, but he chose the comic, the comic book medium, medium saying, yeah. 
this is the best example for how I want to deliver my story. Mm -hmm. I thought Fight Club 2 was fantastic. <clears throat> so I, I have high hopes for this one as well, mm. I have to say. Um, Mate, you're making me want to rewatch the movie. You're, yeah. Uh, you can't go wrong with the movie. I mean, you get to watch Jared Leto's face get pummeled to a pulp. <laughs> Brilliant. You had uh, Jared Leto before he was Jared Leto. Yeah. You had Brad Pitt. You had, had Edward uh, Norton. Edward and Norton. On the bottom Carter. Yeah, I mean Edward Norton. Then, I mean, I think he took the he took the power and frustration of Fight Club and then went into American History X. Yeah. yeah. Which was just one of the most powerful movies I've ever seen. It's just stayed with me. Um, and, and of course he was our original Bruce Banner yeah. well he was the second Bruce Banner after Eric Banner and he was he actually was our, the third one after <laughs> well, going back so, to the so, TV so, show so let me reiterate he was our original uh, it's the original Marvel, Marvel, Bruce Banner yeah, yeah, yeah. original Bruce MCU Banner. Bruce Banner uh -huh. and, and also writer he was part, he, he, he wrote apparently that that's one of the reasons he never got invited back uh -huh. because he was so controlling that he took over the writer's room and but all of that came in his words from a love of the character wanting yeah. to be the best possible yeah. movie. I think I, he did a great job. Oh, it's, a, it's a slight yeah. sidetrack here, but I, I adore The Incredible Hulk. I think yep. it's top 10 yep. MCU movies. Yep. And Unfairly Lambasted. Um, it probably has the, the least links to the rest of the MCU. I mean, it took you until, what, Civil War to see General Ross again. Yeah. Betty's never been mentioned again. Ooh. Bruce Banner, obviously, yeah. in a different iteration. You get the end of the movie. Oh, well, that was brilliant. That was fantastic. Yeah. That I, hear was that, I hear you're having a problem, yeah, with General Ross and the bar. You wore such wonderful suits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame Ed Norton didn't take it on, but, you know, I don't think uh, Mark Ruffalo's doing a bad oh, job so far. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's Fight Club 3, uh, a new number one that will be launching in uh, January also. January 30th, another popular date. Uh, uh, if you think that one's popular, just wait till it's next. <laughs> oh, look at the date it's coming out on as well. Look at that. Uh, yes, yeah, so we're going to jump back from indie and back to DC. This is a title that I feel we're going to be recommending almost every month because... It's called first. Don't give anything away. So this next title, it's going to be a series of, well, in the writer's words, it's going to be a series of one-shots. There'll probably be small links between each one, but they are very much designed to be one-shot uh, issues, one-and-dones. And, and uh, I'll leave Stephen to introduce it. It's the Green Lantern. Not Green Lantern. I'm so happy the you said Lantern. the... That's what I, mean, it it, I mean, it's quite small there. Yep. I love the fact... Oh, I love the fact that the previous I love the fact that... I love the fact that it's it's a tiny, tiny little word. Yeah, <laughs> but the they get annoyed page, if you don't use it. Yeah. And yet we're all like the Green Lantern the is Green the biggest Lantern. word in the title. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's very deliberate, and I think you're being controlled by Grant Morrison. Yeah, so <laughs> no problem there. It's not the first time someone said that. <laughs> the Green Lantern is uh, it's obviously a twelve issue maxi series. Uh, this is issue number three being previewed. Written monthly by, series, yeah. Monthly series written by is Grant it Morrison. Stay monthly. Written by, the Grant Morrison. written by the Grant Morrison, uh, art and cover by Liam Sharp, variant by Jay Lee. Um, you know, Grant Morrison's a very grounded comic book writer. He's never, <laughs> he's never done anything, anything really outrageous. Never outlandish. Yeah, yeah, outlandish. Yeah. So uh, he follows that up. You know, he, he follows suit with Green Lantern. It's a, it's a space cop maxi series. You know, Earth goes up for sale. Give it its full title. It's Space Cop versus. Uh, wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Earth goes up for sale in the alien black market. It's up the Green Lantern cores to bust up the slave lords of the stars in the latest space saga. 
Justice League Frozen by Gamma Gamma Gong Tech never heard of that before as you do DC Gamma Gong Tech Earth ends up on the auction block and Volgard Zo hosts a menagerie of the universe's deadliest uh, despots and criminals uh, Hal Jordan leads Squad of Lanterns into the fray and someone's going to pay the ultimate price before the case gets closed it's interesting the synopsis doesn't, doesn't actually mention, what, mention the story is. what the story is but thankfully the cover does it's <laughs> Green Lantern the Green Lantern versus God <laughs> it's Space Cop Space Cop versus, versus God. God so I find this incredibly interesting because whenever this was launched they were talking about how this is going to be Grindy. like a, a yeah. police procedural mm-hmm. you know uh, this is going to be like a, a police procedural Space Cop story you know what I mean and first of all you're given light of that by the fact you're letting Grant yeah. Morrison ever near it. <laughs> yep. But, you know, you've gone in three issues from police procedural to Space Cop versus God. Yep. You know what I mean? So it's almost like it's almost like the Robert Kirkman story of Walking Dead. You know what I mean? It's going to be, I'll tell you what, image, uh, I know nobody likes zombies, it's going to be aliens. But it's almost like Grant Morrison has walked in and going, lads, uh, I'm off the drugs. Uh, <laughs> so this is going to be police well, let me procedural deliver your Green Lantern this is going to be great and then by the third issue he's like lads this <laughs> <laughs> <Gotcha>. is God it's <laughs> up for sale uh, it's I I, uh, I don't know <laughs> I've signed up for this okay. for the first couple of issues but I don't know if I'll be able to stick with it because I don't know if I can take it the thing is again like the podcast is uh, it's not the best medium for discussing covers but it is a very nice cover of uh, how Jordan's scoring up to God pointing his finger pointing at his God pointing his finger at God I'm not sure if this is uh, hey you he's accusing me my planet bag he's accusing me uh, pointing his finger, my finger maybe his best friend's Jesse Custer I was going to say they're never going to do it better than they did it in Preacher so what I find really interesting about this though is I know you're saying like you might not stick with it but I think this is just going to be a crazy fun comic and the fact that you're laughing even as you're describing it yeah. is kind of what it's about and we, we should not lose back and lose sight of the fact that comics are ridiculous oh yeah and always will yeah. be of and course they're of course they're but they're escapism in a yeah. purest <laughs> form yeah. and but the other thing I find really interesting about this is I'm not a religious man at all, but I almost think, you know, just based on the iconography and all the rest, God is like the ultimate entity yes. in any religion or whatever you believe in. So if he's facing up to God in issue three, where is it going to go from there? What well, what can you yeah, possibly you can, do that's you can bigger? Can really go down from there? That's it. You know, yeah. where, where can you go that's bigger than that? No, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this title. Mm. Oh, I can't wait. It's, it's, a, it's a stepping point for Green Lantern as well. Big time. I mean, yeah. Green Lantern, I no, find... No, Green Lantern as a character. Yeah. I think Green Lantern can be slightly impenetrable because there's not a lot of easy starting points. No. Even if you pull up things like Blackest Night and stuff like that, they're quite dense. Yeah. Um, whereas, again, this is going to be... strips it back. I'll say bonus. again, Green Lantern is a ridiculous character. Yeah. Uh, that... He's a space cop whose uh, powering that is based on his will is charged from a lantern. Uh, but as long as it's not yellow, you're fine. And originally, as long as it's not wood, you're all right. See, again, this goes back as well. There's there's a great... There was LSD involved, definitely, in the creation of that card. I love all-star Batman and Robin. So many people get it shit. Frank Miller wrote <laughs> it. Jim Lee drew it. But there's a scene in it where the Green Lantern is rendered powerless because Batman has painted the apartment yellow. <laughs> and he's painted himself yellow. 
and the Green Lantern has no power over him whatsoever. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, I still go back to the fact that whoever created Green Lantern was clearly a soothsayer because it's all a modern take on civilization and how powerless we are without our phones being charged. Mm. Fair enough, fair enough. With the battery. Just saying. Good quick, one. Quick, quick sidestep. Um, but, if you're, but if your battery is charged, you can point at God. <laughs> yep. How many issues into the Green Lantern do you think it's going to take for the, the popularity and the hype to be there for DC to be like, you know what, have a movie? Well, apparently I, they're working on one. They've got yeah. Green Lantern Corps in the, in the making. Jeff Johns has stepped away from his producing role to oh, write it, yeah. and he's described it as lethal weapon in space. So I can't go wrong with that. Um, we're, we're best not getting into DC movies because that'll, no, be no, that'll be a whole other podcast. That'll be a whole other podcast. Ask us after Aquaman. I think oh. that's probably a very astute comment because I don't think DC will make any big decisions on their cinematic universe until they see how Aquaman's received. Yeah. And I have to say, by the five minute short movie we watched, it does look pretty great, but you know, Suicide Squad looked great in the trailer, so who, yeah. who knows? Because it was a piece of shit. We're just stepping off of what looks great in the trailers. Go on to the next part. Well, I was just about to say, I, I, I'm speaking of movies, I'm just staring at that, their Ooh. movie variant cover. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's very shameless. Just quick segue straight into the next one. So away from Green Lantern 3. Away from the Green Lantern 3. Uh, launched on the 9th of January. Yeah, 389. We have back onto Marvel. Captain Marvel number one. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, there's no coincidence that this is coming out. Definitely not. Just quickly after the Captain Marvel movie, as oh, Steve was saying, there's a variant cover that which is the Captain Marvel movie poster. It's the um, is a dog there. The doors opening it's a cat. up. It's a cat. Oh, and it's a called Chewy. Is Chewy there? Yes. Um, it is the poster. It is. It is exactly the poster we've all seen, Steve. Um, yeah, so it's Captain Marvel number one. So this is coming off, um, it's with Kelly Thompson's writings, who wrote the life of Captain Marvel, yeah. which is coming out recently. Captain yeah, Marvel issue four was just last week. Captain Marvel core, she was on A-Force, yeah. she was on uh, Kate Bishop Hawkeye, uh, West Coast Avengers, West Coast Avengers Jessica, Jessica Jones, Jones and me, Mr. and Mrs. X, and also Jem and the Holograms. Jim and the Holograms, that's an interesting one. And yeah. this cartoon that she made into a badass uh, comic. Um, yeah, so this is basically a number one with Captain Marvel. It's using Ka- Carol Danvers. Now, Marvel's pushing this as the next 50 years of Captain Marvel. Um, so this does seem like, now after the film, if the film does well, Captain Marvel's Marvel's next big character. That they're like, pushing. It's a Marvel movie. It could be terrible, but it's still going to make like hundreds of millions. That's the thing. Yeah, it's going to make the money. It's a Marvel but... movie, so for the most part, it's probably not going to be terrible. It's not going to be awful. Uh, yeah. Thor the Dark World. <coughs> Thor Ragnarok. <coughs> Iron Man 3. Ragnarok? <coughs> Excuse me? Thor Ragnarok's fucking awesome. I think he might have said the wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I, it actually came up on my Facebook memories uh, that I went to see... Um, Thor Ragnarok the night West Ham played Spurs and uh, it was whenever West Ham went 2-1 up and in Spurs like for the back yeah so just going back to yeah, last yeah, so I, missed a, I missed a very good football match for that film and it was Thor Ragnarok is a hell of a great movie it's not a great Thor movie because it does move away from what the character is but as part of that cinematic universe it is thoroughly up. excellent and it's set up Infinity War Thor Ragnarok was as Guardians of the Galaxy before it was a comic that doesn't mean it wasn't good. It so, wasn't good. what's interesting 
about this is I think it's I mean what's interesting about the movie is it's about time we had we had a like a, a girl in the lead yeah you know, oh Wonder uh, Woman what what but of this, the Marvel movies <laughs> yeah. you know, but we I, but I, I, think I go against this argument right just very quickly simply because Winter Soldier is as much a Black Widow movie as it is a cat movie yeah but the thing yeah. is they should have had her name in the yeah, title but it's not and that's what's important but it should have yeah been. but it should have been but it isn't but this one does yeah, uh, yeah. so You've got a Captain Marvel movie with a female lead. Uh, the book has got a female writer. The book has got a female artist. Um, I think, Doyle. yeah, and uh, you know she's a a regular regular DC writer. Yeah, so DC artist. It's so female orientated that there is no Scotty Young variant. There is no Scotty Young. It's one of the very few. <laughs> but there is an Alex, an Alex Ross song and an Adam Hughes and a Joe Quesada variant. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's probably what they mean when they talk about the next 50 years. Yeah. Um, um, and it does seem like it is Marvel's focus on trying to get a female in the spotlight and maybe trying to move away from. It's true. I mean, the biggest sell in Marvel comic books as well, none of them are female. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all, it's all Fantastic Four. It's Spider Man, it's Immortal Hulk, it's, mm-hmm. you know, so. I, I mean, I. You mentioned Fantastic Four there, which does have a woman, but they make her invisible most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but she's also the strongest character and the most the most powerful character and the heart of the Fantastic Four. Always. Oh, like. When you think about Marvel, though, most of their characters, most of their female characters are extremely strong characters. We've yeah. got Phoenix. Well, I, I mean, I, I think I'm going to say, I mean, and I know there's, there's four white males sitting around this microphone, but. Uh, I'm going to say that in comics, more so than probably most other mediums, mm-hmm. uh, they're still very much behind, but leading the way with regard to equality. Yeah. Because we have, uh, you know, the likes of Wasp leading the Avengers in the, the 80s. Uh, we have Storm. Uh, Wonder Woman being part of the Trinity. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, so I think uh, it's still very, very lopsided. Um, yeah. But, but That'll take people, time. I think people overlook uh, what comics have always been doing in this mm-hmm. for, a, for the longest time. They've been doing in this with regard to to at least pushing towards any sort of equality. Yeah, um, yeah. And whenever you've got you've got a lot of sort of a wee bit more balance with regard to writers and artists. So mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm proud to to be a, someone who's. A fan of this medium that has been, I I feel leading, very leading progressive. Away, yeah, even yeah. Marvel say here in in the blurb itself, she's been punching glass ceilings since nineteen seventy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. Yeah, and I mean for the longest time, Captain Marvel, or at least Carl Danvers, before she was Captain Marvel, when she was Miss Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, she was best known for being the hero who uh, Rogue got her powers from. So Rogue okay. uh, fought Miss Marvel very early on, and that's where Rogue got her. You know, Rogue has the ability to absorb powers, so yeah. Rogue hung on too long and permanently absorbed her powers. That's where Rogue got her flight from and her vulnerability and her strength. Oh, I see. And uh, also a lot of her memories, which is why Rogue was so screwed up and why Carl Danvers was in such a bad state for a long time. Uh-huh. So, you know, more recently in the Marvel Universe, Carl's become a key player again. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in Civil War Two. She, w- she, re- she rose to... Prominence, I guess, in Civil War Two, which I know we talked about earlier on. It's not a great book. It's not a great story, but uh, Civil War was Iron Man versus Captain America. Civil War Two was Iron Man versus Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, and since then, uh, Carl has 
really she's become the leader of Alpha Flight and that she's the Carl has become the the, the cosmically powered guardian mm-hmm. um, yeah, she's out there in space she leads Alpha Flight Alpha Flight are the are the I guess the event Alpha Flight were something different before but they're now they're out there in space they're defending the border of Earth mm-hmm. against uh, alien threats Carl leads them um, so yeah it's even funny coming off of Green Lantern how it's we're sort of talking about how cosmic it is and how it's going through the galaxy and things. Captain Marvel number one, it looks like it's actually coming back to Earth. Uh-huh. So it's, it's sort of going, it's going to be based in New York City. Um, even cover A itself is Carol standing. It looks like on top of a city skyline. Mm-hmm. Um, it does look like they're sort of trying to bring her back to Earth and maybe make her more of a longer staying character even within the comics. She's a key member of the Avengers, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Even through the Avengers, just bringing her back down the Earth and keeping her there. Mm-hmm. Well, we even bring it back to the movies and so forth. I know that Kevin Feige has been interviewed, and he said she's the most powerful Avenger. You yeah, know? whatever you think about it, she's she's definitely. I mean, in the, yeah, definitely up there. Um, and what's interesting is they pit her right against the ultimate misogynist of the Marvel universe. Tony Stark, your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she she sort of. From Civil War Two, she's she's kept Tony Stark in check, yeah, and she's always the she's always the balance and check to to Tony Stark, you know the the futurist, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, which is funny because yeah, so uh, interesting. Yeah. Just as a little segue, and it's it's just a general question to ask everybody's opinion on, mm-hmm. and I I really want to use the words "what if" being Marvel and all the rest, and it's a movie related question. Obviously, the stinger at the end of Infinity War. Um, you have Nick Fury pulls out a old timey you know, pager, pager. Yeah. cosmic space pager, pages someone, and then it's like mother, f-, and uh, it falls to the ground. Obviously, Captain Marvel symbol comes up. Yeah. Do you I think see. if Marvel slash Disney had the rights to it, that would have been a four or an X instead of Captain Marvel? I think it would have been a four. You know? I think it would have been a four. Yeah. I don't know. I think. It's a total what if. I mean, I mean, this is no. I you know. So what I'm I, what I'm gonna say is, I feel like the the plan, the plan for the Marvel movies has been very very solid so far. Mm-hmm. And but this one, I mean, you know, if, so if they well, had the rights five years yeah, ago, yeah, no, no, so of no, course no, they would have no, been no, planning. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's about. I don't think it's about that because, I think Marvel decided that they needed Spider Man back, so they did a deal, or Disney did a yeah. deal with Sony. In order to ensure that they could have Spider Man and Civil War. And Civil War, yeah. And I think uh, if they had decided they wanted Fantastic Four in that, they they now um, they now have the Fantastic Four rights back, don't they? No, they have them now. But not, what I'm saying is, officially, yeah. But what I'm saying is, is that Kevin Feige to me seems like a guy who has yeah. a massive whiteboard in his office, and he has planned the next five years in advance, mm-hmm. and he knows exactly what direction all those are going in. If five years ago they held the rights to those characters, it's a total what if question. It's just, I think, yeah. would he have no. been calling the Fantastic um, Four or maybe Off World at the time? Or? I, don't, I don't know. Because I don't know. It, it, it almost sounds bad in a way, and hopefully the Captain Marvel movie will change this. But I've talked to people who have said, who, who was that they were calling at the no, end? No, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with you that. Uh, that there was I, no recognition. Yeah, there, there was. There was unless little, you were a comic creator. There was little recognition. Uh, yeah. But I know. Uh, 
I know people who, uh, uh, a, a friend of mine who is not a massive comic reader, mm-hmm. and the only thing he reads is uh, is Captain Marvel, or at that time the only thing he was reading was Captain Marvel. I'm I'm talking about you, Richie Harris. Yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we shot out there. Yeah. <laughs> so. So yeah, I think it definitely the appeal is a wee bit a wee bit more limited, but um, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I I've, I I've tried. I have enough faith in in what the Marvel movies have done so far to to feel like this was yeah. this was a plan from fairly early on, and I love the fact that the Captain Marvel movie, as we know, was going to be like uh, an eighties nineties movie set in the nineties, you know, which obviously means that you know, so we've got a younger Samuel L. Jackson, a younger Nick Fury. Yeah. Uh, anybody remember whenever David Hasselhoff played Nick Fury? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, we've got a younger, oh, we've yeah. got a younger Nick Fury, a uh, de-aged Nick Fury, uh, which is is going to be fantastic. So obviously, and also hopefully explain why Cap Marvel wasn't present on Earth during. The events of yeah the the events of or, or even the events of the Avengers Are even you rogue touched there and it fucked their brain up no well, no I don't think we're gonna go there <laughs> um, but you know I think, no, that's a good point I mean yeah. yeah I mean it's easy to overlook that and just say why I think, was she not there for Infinity yeah. War but why was she not there for I think what they've done is genius I think it's it's genius that uh, the way the Ant Man Ant Man and the Wasp Great slotted in there slotted in Great there movie. and ended at the end of. Infinity War uh, it was a prequel and I think it's genius this is a prequel because whenever Untitled Avengers 4 comes out we are all going to be rooting for Avengers Disassembled <laughs> I'm putting it out there right now okay we have to throw it out there just to throw another <laughs> hypothetical what's everyone's guesses for that Avengers title it's for me it it's going to be Avengers Disassembled and the following movie after that's going to be the new Avengers I've that's my shot. I've been saying Endgame since. So we are we Bendis reference there? Oh, I'm telling you, yeah. that's that's what's going to be. So I go Avengers Disassembled. Karen goes with Avengers Endgame. Any guesses? I I've got nothing. I got nothing. You're Mister Marvel. You should yeah, have at least ten possibilities. That's why I have nothing. Throw one out there. Go on. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would love something like Secret Wars. Or, Secret Wars is what I yeah, have in my but, mind. Yeah. Um, I just don't. I don't see it. I think. Uh, I mean, Endgame was a was a fairly recent Avengers title. Yeah. Uh, I know that Mark Ruffalo let it slip that apparently it was going to be called the Last Avenger. I know, but Mark, was, but oh, he's he's the king of planting. But stuff. he's also yeah. he's been you know he works hand in hand. Mark with, Ruffalo is the guy that was like, oh, you love Avengers: Infinity War. Everyone dies. <laughs> And everyone was like, no, they don't mark. And then we all came out of the cinema crying. <laughs> I don't think yeah. we came out of the cinema crying. I think we just walked. All, we all came out going, fuck. Obviously, we were all fortunate enough to go see it together for midnight. And I think we all just walked out of it just not knowing what to say. Just yeah. like, because shit, they really did it. just brilliant. They really it did it. It was just brilliant. Um, so that's why I don't know. Uh, but, but I love not knowing. And I love, mm. I love being able to put... Uh, yeah, it's not an important thing. It's not an important thing at the end of the day. Well, it's just a bit of fun. It's yeah, not necessarily it's, important, it's, but I just yeah. But I love being able to just let go and after you know three phases and what eighteen movies, mm. just go. You know what? I have faith that what you guys are going to do with this is going right. to be all right, I and seen, I don't have to worry. I seen something recently that made me think though is what if the title is such a spoiler? The only time we'll find out is at the end of the movie at the credits. 
I'd be interested. Yeah, man, absolutely. If they literally just advertise I it just, as Avengers yeah. 4. Yeah. I feel like the I, best thing Marvel can do is whenever you watch Captain Marvel, it'll be like Captain Marvel will return in Avengers and just give the title. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just, I don't, I just, I love having the fact that they have built such confidence mm-hmm. in regular movie watchers and in us that you're just kind of going... I feel alright about this well even yeah. just the fact that it's what five months away and we still haven't seen a frame of footage yeah, is yeah, brilliant keep it that yeah, way absolutely I'm with, uh, keep yeah. it that way anyway Captain Marvel anyway yeah. that was Captain Marvel number one uh, what looks great about this as well is obviously the continuity of Kelly Thompson from Life of Captain Marvel continuing over yeah which was a great little series four issues in just waiting for the finale of that and I think it's going to be a good all ages title as well and so I love that. I love the fact that that, that Kelly Thompson uh, you know, if you look at if you look at her her back catalog, it's Captain Marvel and the co- A Force, which was an all female Avengers team. Yeah, uh, Hawkeye, Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, Kate Bishop. Uh, Jessica Jones, uh, me and Mrs X, um, Gem and the Holograms. I don't know if you guys were are familiar with Gem. It's an IDW title at the moment. Yeah, but what it was, it used to be a cartoon. It used to be yeah. a, a, like yeah. an eighties cartoon about this like rock star. Mm. Uh, who was also like a superhero on the side oh, and there okay. was like dolls there was gem dolls and they were like sort of like rock star Barbies and all of this sort of stuff but she's taken this you know IDW which does great things with licenses yeah. and taken this little known uh, or little remembered uh, toy line and made it into this badass comic series <laughs> you know all real female led stuff you know so it's nice that they've they've gone this is the girl for this job you know yeah so, nice, yeah no, and that was a very seamless segue into IDW for the uh, last pick of the night, uh, which is going to bring us back to Keith again. Uh, we're going to finish off with an indie pick tonight. Uh, again, another number one, so another great starting point um, for this we've got. It's uh, Star Trek, the Q Conflict, uh, number one. Of six. Of six. Um, I'm a massive Trekkie, always have been. Um I remember 1987, whenever Star Trek The Next Generation kicked off, I'd been vaguely aware. Um, Is that how long ago Next Generation was? 1987, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was four. Yeah. I'm not even born. <laughs> I know. I'm not even born. I've seen every episode. Though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. That, that's the enduring... But know, it, was, it was a massive thing. It was in all the papers that, you know, I was nine years old, it was in all the papers that Star Trek was coming back, and I was aware of the of Star Trek uh, the original series haven't seen bits and pieces but I was never aware of the importance of Star Trek mm-hmm. uh, and then this series started and I was hooked from the start um, and that was Star Trek The Next Generation ran for seven years seven glorious years and uh, during the time of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation I think it was year five of Star Trek The Gen- Next Generation uh, Deep Space Nine spun off which was a very different series but also a Star Trek series Years in Space Interesting, <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was different because Star Trek had always been about <laughs> had always been about uh, you know a, a roving ship, uh, whereas Deep Space Nine was static. It was about a space station, and therefore the character development, the characters became much more core. Um, and that was then that was then followed by Voyager, which was uh, again it kicked off after the Next Generation finished, but as Deep Space Nine was still going on. And uh, it crossed over with Deep Space Nine. It started, in fact, Voyager left on its mission from Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And it then ended up uh, jumping into a different quadrant. And uh, it was the 
the story of a ship trying to find its way home, uh, depending on you know. So it was again classic Star Trek. It was you know everything. All these embodied the Gene Roddenberry themes of wagon train in space mm-hmm. and uh, you know diversity and uh, and just exp- exploration and and the wonder of new things. Again, ahead of its time when you come to things very like diversity. So. Yeah. yeah, very much so. Uh, so. The Q conflict, I guess, comes off the back of uh, Mur Broken and uh, Through the Mur and Terra, Terra Incognita. Terra Incognita, one issue to go. Which uh, are written by Scott and David Tipton um, brothers mm-hmm. uh, who have become synonymous with writing Star Trek comics for IDW, which I think are the, the be all and end all of Star Trek comics. Uh, so what what the Q conflict this what did you say six six gonna be six series, yeah. uh, does is it pulls in Q who is the Loki of the Star Trek yeah. universe but he's he's an all powerful Loki he's a mm. a cosmic uh, a judge uh, which is how he first appeared actually in the very first episode Encounter of Conflict Encounter of, at Farpoint uh, of of the Next Generation he appeared as a judge he was. He was judging the human race. Um, he was, uh, but he was playful. He was capricious, like Loki, uh, but all powerful. He could change reality at a, at his whim. Uh, he could uh, traverse time, and he could uh, do all sorts of things. He appeared in the first episode. He appeared in the last episode, and he appeared throughout. He just loved Jean Luc Picard. He tried to emulate Jean Luc Picard. He was almost childlike in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what's going to be awesome about this is it brings together the four crews. Before, uh, so it brings together James T. Kirk's original crew, Jean Luc Picard's Enterprise D crew, crew, uh, Benjamin Sisko's Deep Space Nine crew, and Catherine Janeway's Voyager crew, uh, and they're all no in Enterprise. This. No Enterprise, no no, no Captain Archer. No Scott Bakula. No, no, absolutely. We just have uh, to stick with NCIS. It's going to be the the Q conflict too. There we go. But it. Uh, the Quantum Leap conflict, if you will. But it's a, a dispute between, as, as it often is, as it often is in Star Trek, it's a dispute between godlike beings who treat us like cockroaches and mm-hmm. ants. Uh, it, this conflict between godlike beings threatens the galaxy, mm-hmm. and what's it going to take to stop them? But the four best captains that Starfleet has ever had: uh, James T. Kirk, Jean-Luc Picard, Catherine Janeway, Benjamin Sisko, uh, as they go head to head in a competition that will determine the fate of the Earth and beyond. Who will emerge victorious? Who will emerge victorious? Will they be torn apart by the Q conflict? Um, I'm really looking forward to this. In fact, uh, I saw this in the previous catalog, and I asked Alan, "Do you have the Mur broken? Uh, can I get uh, through the Mur? And uh, can I get the Terra Incognita?" Again, the listeners can't see this, but that image is that promotional, or is that connecting covers, or is there any? It doesn't specifically state. Yeah, it just stuff. says cover is by uh, David Messina, which is or the artist on the main cover. Or that could be a wraparound. It just it doesn't specify, yeah. which is a shame. I mean, it yeah. wouldn't surprise me. It looks to be David Messina's doing cover A and B, and then there's going to be a couple of retailer incentive oh, covers. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if, and I'm tempted to draw on the previous book again here. But if that was cover yeah, one, yeah, yeah. Like it was one crew per cover, yeah. and it was almost like a connecting cover. Yeah. And there's uh, John Delancey as uh, as Q, who you may remember as Jessica Jones' dad in Breaking Bad. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you remember yeah. Jessica? What do you what do you call the actress that plays Jessica Jones? Uh, Kristen Ritter. Kristen, Kristen Ritter. Ritter. She uh, played the tragic uh, drug addict uh, oh. who that was Jesse that, was dating. That was Breaking the Bad. moment. Uh, this is going to be total spoilers for a ten year old show, but <laughs> from when it started. 
But that was the moment I knew I was sticking with Breaking Bad. Yeah. See, when she choked to death and Walter could have done something to stop it but didn't, yeah. I was like, fuck, this is Brian good. Brian Cranston actually came out in an interview to say that that's the most difficult thing. Yeah, as a father, yeah. Him. He was like, yeah. I, my natural inclination would be to help someone. Yeah, yeah but that was the moment yeah. watching that show. I was like, I'm in this until the end. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, so John Delancey, who was the actor who played her dad was famously known as Q yeah. in Star Trek and there he is writing that cover yeah. he ended up uh, getting on a plane flying a plane and then crashing a plane was that yeah. something yeah, I believe so, yeah. Breaking Bad so yeah uh, Star Trek the Q conflict um, well, really I, looking forward to that I do promise you if that comes into the store as a promotional poster I will give it to you oh you're a legend <laughs> yeah. I have a good few witnesses for this <laughs> <laughs> well this gets listened to over about 100 people so <laughs> there's 100 witnesses yeah, there we go. but how many of those are you just re-listening to it shh <laughs> oh, I don't know if that counts actually hmm. I might have to look into that out, yeah. if it does there'll be a thousand listens for this one <laughs> um, yeah I mean I, I'll be honest I'm, I'm not the same I'm not the biggest Star Trek guy in the world um, it's something I do want to get into a bit more because anybody who loves Star Trek just they speak so passionately about it. Well, there has to be yeah, something yeah. great to it, you know. Um, I mean, I tried to watch the old shows. I was, I know it's part of the charm, and it's it's kind of the same thing with something like Batman '66, the overacting and the cheesiness of it of the original Star Trek. To me, sometimes detracted from the imagination of it. It's only it only feels like that because you're watching it because the 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 memes about it and the. The ideas about it are so yeah. all pervasive. You're expecting a ridiculousness, but yeah, you know what I mean. It's the stories are still there, and the the act, you know the uh, it's still there. It's the still, philosophy of it's still there, and I think sometimes you know, part of the problem is if you haven't watched something like this, and then you go back and watch it, <clears throat> you look at something, you go, "Oh, that's so cliched." But what you don't understand is that they're the ones who established the cliche. Yeah. Exactly. You know, that's but you go yeah. back to and go, oh, I've seen this kind of yeah. thing before. Well, I mean, if you want to, geez, you want to see, you want to, you want to get into Star Trek, you don't have to go too much further than the Wrath of Khan. Mm. That, that'll tell you what you need to know about the original crew. Second movie, isn't it? Second movie. And that is just class. Class stuff. You don't get any better. Did Star, if I remember correctly, Star Trek into Darkness one of the very last scenes in it that riffed film on it, yeah more or less just pulled Wrath of Khan what it did flipped the characters it, it, it was the it was the that, that world that um, Kelvin universe yeah um, and they, they took it and they twisted it because yeah. they uh, and I, I definitely I'm not spoiling a movie that's I think nearly <laughs> 40 years old no I know <laughs> but, oh. but that original movie uh, the classic scene that one of those scenes that makes men cry an exclamation uh, marks yeah. uh, is that scene yeah. where Spock where Spock is in the, the reactor chamber and uh, he because of his Vulcan physiology yeah. he can be in there for slightly longer time in yeah. order to replace the lithium crystals and, yeah. uh, you know and Kirk's outside watching his best friend effectively melt yeah. before his eyes that's the famous oh, um, I have been and always, always shall be yeah, your friend your yeah. friend <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> you just it's it's just it's and a that all of course movie. leads to the search for Spock. Yeah, it does. It does, and that's one of the uh, that's the curse of the Star Trek movies. The even numbers are awesome, and the odd numbers aren't so good. <laughs> <laughs> first one not good then though. First one was first one was the first. Uh, the first one was supposed to be a TV series. It was supposed to be a reboot of the original TV series. And whenever Star Wars went under production, Star Trek went. Oh! 
you to do a thing. <laughs> and they made the original. They 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 cobbled together. I feel, uh, from what I understand, the original, what was supposed to be Star Trek Phase Two, was cobbled together into Star Trek the yeah. picture. And uh, to the point, they had a first officer called Decker, and then the first officer in the next generation was called Riker. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, it was a it was a fairly long. Um, uh, didn't make a, in some parts of the Innocence yeah. movie but the second one was great what were your the, your opinions on the uh, reboot Chris uh, Pine and Co really enjoyed the first one quite enjoyed the second one the third one was nonsense I was about to say oh, really? you say one bad thing about Star Trek Beyond we're going to have to step outside yeah I'm good I with that like that's I'm okay Keith Beyond. could take you all day long <laughs> I felt like uh, I, I like Beyond I love Beyond uh, no whenever you get whenever you get the director from a Fast and Furious movie directing a Star Trek movie you know you're already in trouble see I've only seen the first two I haven't seen Beyond yeah. the first one I really enjoyed it was fantastic the yeah. second one I struggled with because for six months it was He's not playing Khan. He's not playing Khan. He's not playing Khan. Oh, he's not playing Khan. I am Khan. Just, just admit that too. He's playing. Beyond, I never watched, but it, it's weird you saying that about a Fast and the Furious director because the Fast and the Furious movies become a bit of my guilty pleasure. Mm. They make zero sense, but they're kind of entertaining. Which is why the, the director of a movie that makes zero sense shouldn't be directing Star Trek. From what I've heard, it's pretty good action set piece wise. Yeah, it's not, but Star Trek isn't it? Star Trek should never. But be that's like also the point, you know. Yeah. Do you want something slightly more intellectual and philosophical, or do you need something for the internet meme crowd that yeah. exists now? Yeah, you know. Yeah, Star Trek's a nice balance, you know. But the action, the action's always a wee bit should always be a wee bit more cerebral. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's no, that's uh, a which is not point. how I would describe Fast and Furious in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, so that will bring us to the end of uh, our recommendations. Uh, we had originally planned this as like a 45-minute podcast. God knows how long it's going to be. Uh, but just a very quick rundown of what those titles were. There might be an honourable mention or two at the end as well. Um, so the titles we went through were Young Justice Number 1, uh, Age of X-Man Alpha Number 1, Criminal Number 1, The Other History of the DC Universe Number 1, Conan the Barbarian Number 1, uh, Gunning for Hits, you guessed it, number one. <laughs> Superman 100 Page Super Spectacular, number one. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, number one. Alien Resistance, number one. Uh, Flash Annual, yay, number two. Uh, Invaders, number one. Fight Club 3, number one. Green Lantern, number three. Captain Marvel, number one. And Star Trek Q Conflict, We're number one. We're saying, though, that that what we're trying to do is find jumping on points for people. 100%. You know? And it's not always... that Number ones are, are a really easy jumping on point for for people because it's usually a change of uh, story team, or yeah. change of creative team. And, and very often now, whereas 20 years ago, whenever they started a new creative team, they wouldn't have started a new number one. Very often yeah, they just do would that, have you know what I mean? So... Um, which is we're joking about Marvel's legacy numbers you know what I mean but yeah. that's exactly what's happened in more recent years they've started a series and it's run for 12 issues then yeah. they changed creative team or changed arc you know so uh, I don't know it's an easy it's an easy ask to you, you always know whenever you walk into your store or any store that you kind of go well number one that's something that yeah. I can jump onto you know what I mean and that's I think that's sometimes why they do it and that's why we have so, num- so many number ones on the issue Yeah, but number ones don't mean necessarily now what they did yeah. then you know what I mean um, I certainly have a number of, a couple more jumping on points that I could mm-hmm. I could recommend for a number of different titles mm. yeah 
No, I mean, we, we wanted to throw a couple of wee shout-outs towards the end, you know, for that reason. As, as Keith says, I mean, the whole idea of the podcast is people who are maybe slightly new to comics or wanting to get into comics. We want to just, you know, try and make it as easy as possible because certainly if you walk into our store, you'll look around, you'll see, you know, who knows how many... Uh, you'll see who knows how many boxes around and you'll not know where to start but the whole point in the podcast is let's give you some starting points uh we will endeavor to do a separate reviews podcast where we'll probably talk about issue seven of something issue 55 of something that kind of thing but two weeks from now uh yep that's the plan the plan is so the previews is going to be a monthly podcast uh, we get a previous book that shows you the releases for that whole month. So what we're going to try and do is break up that month between the two um, previous podcasts with one which will be a reviews podcast. The guys already started making notes a bit more when they read something, if they enjoy it, yeah. putting a little tick beside it so they know what to chat about. And I worried them even more today when I said, well, start thinking about it more. We've got the end of year show to do. <laughs> so <laughs> so I wonder how many times Stephen will mention Milk Wars and Mr. Miracle in that podcast. Ah, uh, don't get me started. <laughs> uh, speaking of Mr. Miracle, can we quick honourable mention? Absolutely, yeah. next week. Isn't uh, what? Is it next week? It's January. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, that's no. the Scooby Doo one. Oh, yeah. But Mr. Miracle number 12. Mr. Miracle's false next week, yeah. Next week. Uh, When's well, this coming out? Because <laughs> it's probably already come out. <laughs> uh, what I'm looking for, and it's, I think it's released the same month, certainly. Uh, and you convinced me. You've convinced me over the last two months as I'm looking forward to the trade paperback of the whole series. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mr. Miracles. Yeah, Miracle. absolutely. Yeah, um, I, I know I recommend a lot of shit to people, but uh, I don't think you'll come back to me and be like, yeah, I, I wish I never read that because... It's been very, very good. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. You've, you've convinced me. Yeah. Uh, it's back. Uh, Trade back on the pull list, Alan. The, oh, it's the, there. The greatest compliment I can can give it, and I know your reaction to this is going to be a bit, ah, oh, for fuck's sake. Uh, it's the same thing I'm going to say about A Star is Born, that if I could go back and re-experience it without any knowledge of what happened... So, Mr. Miracle... But there's no way to do that with A Star is Born because it's the fifth time it's been made. Fourth, if you... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but yeah, no. We but, understand uh, your passion, though. That's. But you, you understand the point I'm trying to make, Mr. Miracle. If uh, if if I could go and reread Mr. Miracle with no prior knowledge of yeah. anything that happened over the course of the series, that I, would be. I think that's bad. true of any art form. When you really, really enjoy something, you almost wish you could go back and experience it with fresh eyes. Yeah, yeah. you know. That's why. That's why we introduce the things we love to the people we love as big as you're like it's kind of you want excuse. them to feel that sensation it's an excuse for you to experience it again uh, sort of for the first and time and you turn to them and uh, they fall asleep just as Ben Kenobi meets Darth Vader <laughs> <laughs> is this a recent story ah uh, don't get me started <laughs> anyway um, yeah just so very quickly those honourable mentions the only one I'll throw out there is Finally, Batman Creature of the Night number four is fucking coming out. Is that our first Batman recommendation of the night? Oh, it is, it actually. Is, uh, yeah. Jesus. We almost made through it all the way. Yeah. New Doomsday Clock in January, too. January, June, uh, Doomsday uh, Clock number Justice nine. getting the uh, annual. Justice League on. annual in there as well. Um, Scooby-Doo team up. I'm, uh, I'm sort of looking forward to Drowned Earth, uh, the Aquaman Justice League crossover. Yeah. For me, it's the uh, I've been enjoying, this is... Maybe controversial, but I've been enjoying Aquaman since the start. Mm-hmm. Justice League, um, kind of. So just this is very in between. Yeah, Justice. This is Drowned Earth is going to be Justice League's last last chance for me. Don't suppose you got reading the Sink Atlantis 
Aquaman Suicide Squad. Yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to buy a Suicide Squad. Uh, Which he wasn't too fond of. But I really enjoyed that. For me, yeah, I've got a couple. Um, Man Without Fear 135, which I think is released throughout January. It's an interesting one because I saw the cover for it and I read the blurb on it and I thought this looked fantastic and I would have had it probably in my top five picks. Keith then sort of said to me, the writer, we're not too sure about. But look at that cover. Oh, so we're, it's coming off the back of the current Daredevil storyline, which is the death of Daredevil. Again, one of the slight problems of reading what's coming out in two uh, months' okay. time. Well, it's not a problem. They've actually been going, they've actually been, they've, they've been very, very clear with the story that this is where this is ended. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the this, this story starts with Matt Murdock on a, on a table, uh, on a, yeah, you know, on a gurney, um, in a surgery, um, but what sort of put me off a wee bit is it. It talks about uh, it talks about uh, a variety of different individuals. Yeah, it's uh, like each issue yeah, is going to focus yeah, on a different person in the Hell's like Kitchen. Number one's uh, Foggy Nelson. Number two's the Defenders, which I imagine is the Luke Cage. Um, yeah, Iron Fist. Iron Fist. Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Issue three is the loves of Matt Murdock. Issue four is Kingpin, and issue five is Guardian Devil, who is someone we do not know. I feel like that's just Moon Knight. Yeah, it could be Moon Knight. Daredevil. Yep, but um, so but but the writer is not really a proven writer. He's written some Edge of Spider Verse stuff. A guy named uh, Jed McKay. Okay. Um, driven uh, written by Danilo Beruth. Um, it's got uh. Connecting variant covers by that TBD get person. Ah, oh, TBD's <laughs> everywhere these days. Yeah. Uh, also, Avengers 13. Uh, again, Jason Aaron. Uh, but what's cool about this is it's spotlighting Iron Fist, but not Iron Fist that we know, not Danny Rand, Iron Fist yeah. of 10,000 BC. Oh, okay. So, yeah, uh, just strip remember, feeding more and more yeah, of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, remember a few months ago you said whatever happened with that 10,000 BC stuff? Well, Jason Aaron, Jason Aaron is connecting it. Uh, to Avengers beautifully um, he's also connected it to his Thor storyline yeah. uh, fantastically in the last issue of Thor Thor has taken place across three time periods mm-hmm. uh, young foolish Thor uh, in, in, yeah. in Norway and Iceland Scandinavia um, as their god among them you know who, who goes and defeats giants and then yeah. goes you know drinking and hearing um, our Thor that we that we know uh, the, the member of the Avengers and then King Thor, uh, who, like our Odin son now, has has one arm and you know a hammer and a bunch of daughters, uh, but in the future Thor timeline, he faces facing this Doctor Doom. He has the power, strangely, of all of the uh, Avengers of ten thousand BC. Okay. So he's linking it all in, and I say it links into Donny Cates, uh, Donny Cates, uh, Venom. Venom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the next, yeah, I, was, I, was, I was reading Venom, and uh, you know, there was a wee box, you know, see Thor. Go yeah, it's class. And I went on eBay, and it was like a fifty quid issue. Oh really? Uh, it wasn't previously until Donny Cates decided I'm gonna pull know, this in. I, I think those guys have been talking. I think Jason uh, Aaron and Donny Cates are yeah, talking. Yeah, they, they do yeah. seem to be Marvel's new. Big yeah, guns, you know? yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so Thor Nine is another uh, another recommendation of mine. Uh, it's going to follow Ross Solomon, who was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, back in uh, God of Thunder and was Jane Foster's partner after she got sacked from S.H.I.E.L.D. She was S.H.I.E.L.'s environmental officer. <laughs> uh, so uh, it seems to be spotlighting her and she seems to be becoming a major player in the 
the Marvel Universe. I don't know how that's happening, but it's happening under Jason Aaron. Um, so yeah, that's yeah, sort of I've me. Got a, I've got another suggestion. Um, just going off of the Marvel 80 Years stuff. Yeah. Um, they're bringing back some of the horror titles. There's a one-shot, um, Crypt, of, Crypt of Shadows. Yeah. Um, just reading off the blurb, it looks like it might be something that is that Al Ewing on that one? of Immortal yeah. Hulk fame, yeah. Um, it looks like it may be something, an, an older title that has never been released, or it's, it's a brand new one that's off the vein of it, the older stuff. certainly the, the vibe, um, yeah. But it's just a one shot, it's 399 one shot, with a shot, it's a, it's a horror title, and I'll pass that up. They're, what they're doing is they've, they're, they're talking about these three titles uh, to celebrate the 80 years of the House of Ideas, and it seems, as you say, I think they're taking the vibe of uh, the stuff so you've got one here Crypt of Shadows that's a horror comic you've got one Journey into Unknown Worlds which seems to be more sci-fi and then you've got War as Hell which is a, a throwback to their old war comics yeah. you know the Captain yeah. America so they're they're taking I think they're taking the themes that that grew Marvel from the start you know the the horror the sci-fi and the war before before Marvel was a superhero comic company yeah. uh, and that's the three they have out in in January, and they're all you know, hard checking Philip Kennedy, uh, Colin Bunn, and uh, and uh, Al Ewing, yeah, cool. Yeah, so those are just a few uh, extra little bonus recommendations. We, we could go all night to be honest, there's so much yeah. great stuff uh, <laughs> ahead. <laughs> um, you know, Batman Who Laughs number two coming in there. Hey, um, you record this till you have to catch your flight, yeah. Flying, flying, off, right flying off the Comic Con sometime soon. Um, yeah, even looking at action comics, Ran Sook on art for one issue, Steve Epstein on art for another one. Uh, yeah, there's just loads of great stuff ahead. But um, yeah, uh, as ever, if any of those titles appeal to you, you know, pop into the shop, have a little chat, uh, drop some message through Facebook, uh, whatever suits. We can always add titles to the old pull list or get you set up with one if it's not something you've uh, done this far. Um, so yeah uh, that brings us to an end uh, as ever many thanks to all of the cohorts who are here who all look absolutely exhausted at this yeah. point apart from me and Keith the two old boys at the table yeah. uh, these two young guys look a bit shattered but then again they do have to run the store for the next couple of days between <laughs> the two of them uh, while uh, Vic and I are off to London to MCM Comic Con uh, good luck to you <laughs> say hello to John Romita Jr for I'll, I'll do that and I'll ask Frank Miller why he's such a crazy bastard <laughs> <laughs> And then go, can you sign my Dark Knight Returns number one, please? I can't draw anymore. Maybe ask him to sign it first. <laughs> that might be an idea, and just he might just write, like, fuck you on it or something, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. It might actually be certainly one of a kind. Yeah. But anyway, as I say, bring that to an end. So, um, yeah, I mean, something we'll throw out at the very end. This is something Stephen wanted to suggest was, you know, if you want to follow yeah, any of these guys. Yeah, I time to tell everyone to follow me on Instagram. <laughs> uh, it's srjy96. If you like comics and dogs, follow me. Uh, with Kieran, he has his own uh, I'm trying to get Twitter, Twitter handle, which he's trying to pull up on his phone. It's at KieranM1337. And again, if you like all things Hellblazer, Swamp Thing. I and, mean, uh, tweeting James Tenney in the fourth constantly about just... About how great the witching hour <laughs> is. You'll find that on there. And uh, I'm Keith, and you can find me at Ascanison00. Uh, and as well as uh, comics, you'll find lots of stuff on music there as well. As ever, you can just find us at Coffee Heroes One on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, feeling that, just pop in the store whenever it suits. So, until next time, bye as always. Bye bye.